Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio and fans around the galaxy. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content from Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. I uh, get home and I open the mailbox and, of course, pulling out the Christmas cards, the daily delivery of Christmas cards. And I was so excited. I see the Rancho Obi-Wan logo on the envelope. Rip it open. And what do I see but a beautiful, beautifully designed card by our own Paul Bateman. It's fantastic. We've got... uh, Little BB-8 units, little BB units, hard at work in uh, in Santa's workshop. Santa is a red and uh, silver astromech droid. Um, they're hard at work making all kinds of uh, fun toys. Uh, of course, those toys are little models of uh, the various uh, Ships from Star Wars, Y Wings. They've got uh, this looks like is this Darsh, uh, Dash Rendar's Outrider there. Uh, got a got a Tie Fighter, uh, lightsaber hilt. Uh, there's a even a carded classic vintage Obi Wan Kenobi figure. But it's great. They're wearing little elf hats, and uh, under the watchful eye, I do mean one eye of the uh, the red astromech. Got a, a force ghost of Obi-Wan in the back. It's just beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Hopefully we can get Paul to um, post it if he hasn't already. I haven't seen it online anywhere, but um, sure enough, he did the 2016 card, and it says the BB-8 team is taking a brief pause from its intergalactic adventures to ensure that you, your family, and friends have a wonderful holiday season and the best possible 2017 from all of us at Rancho Obi-Wan and signed by the whole gang out there and Great people and um, a great designed card. So if Paul doesn't get it up online or if it's not available at Rancho, we'll, we'll get it up there so you can take a look at that. But uh, anyway, we are still uh, in the afterglow of Rogue One. We've got all kinds of uh, great Rogue One analysis and uh, uh, impressions coming up in the program Stopping by, we have Tom Spina from Spina Designs. Our old pal F.J. DeSanto is going to be here. And then uh, later on, Andy Hurley 
from Fallout Boy, the drummer from Fallout Boy, and a good friend of ours here at Rebel Force Radio. I uh, ran into him at the Big Star Studded uh, premiere a couple weeks ago. So it would be good to connect with him without all that noise. With this after party, yeah. it was too loud. You couldn't really talk. Yeah. Um, but that, uh, that didn't stop uh, my good friend and yours from Chicago, <laughs> Jimmy Mack. From, uh, you know, Jim, I got to confess. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I fell asleep at the after party. I saw you sitting there on the uh, sofa <laughs> at the, at the W. Yeah, I was standing. I was talking to Filoni. Oh, no. And, how embarrassing. Uh, hey, look I at think, Swank over there. Is he asleep? What, think, what's going I, on in Ohio? I didn't want to point it out. I did not want to point it out. But I, well, you see, here's the thing, which I couldn't understand, is uh, we were at the uh, after party, uh, the Lucasfilm after party, following the big red carpet premiere and um this was the after after party yeah yeah right right uh and uh jason you you ordered this ginormous feast (laughs) i was starving i I was apparently apparently (laughs) you you even had dessert they're bringing you out like different choices of mousse chocolate mousse and i'm like i'm like i can't and what was puzzled me was that there were there were plates there were people were going around the room with these amazing brisket sliders and yeah. all kind of good food. Me and Gary Widow went to town on those sliders, but I saw you over there. I mean, it was like they're serving you up like a, a, the side of beef and you know, <laughs> carving station set up around <laughs> you. And I couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah, and I ate it all. And I yeah. ate it all, even got dessert. And I, you know, and of course the, the three hour difference and, you know, I look at the, my, my phone and it's, uh, I was looking at you. A.M. <laughs> I was looking at you. I'm home. like, oh, good night, nurse. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, I'm so I sat with, down uh, on this couch. I was with Filoni. Uh, yeah. I think I was with uh, maybe uh, Kyle was all me and Kyle were uh, we were uh, locked at the hip. It seemed like the whole night. And um, I was feeling great. I mean, it was just being around all those wonderful peoples after seeing the amazing uh, Rogue One. Um, and I think it was Matt Wood was standing there with us. Uh, Michael Giacchino uh, got to talk to Michael Giacchino quite a bit. What a really nice guy and his wife, Andrea. And uh, it was so so much fun. But, Jason, you did pull yourself up off the sofa and you came over and you hung out with uh, myself and uh, Dave Filoni. Sam Witwer was there and Sam was talking hardcore video games with some of his former colleagues at uh the uh, old Lucas Arts, and Sam was almost speaking a different language at times. He was getting oh, so yeah, that, yeah. He's he's way in the weeds with that stuff. You know, so, so if if you guys are really into hardcore video gaming, check out Sam on twitch.com he does some great stuff on there and uh, live gaming and with uh, the typical Sam Whitwer awesome commentary that he provides and so so many great friends there all night long the whole evening was incredible i did tease on facebook jason that you and i helped the stupendous and glamorous jamie king get prepared for her red carpet appearance at uh the rogue one premiere and uh i mean really we did i gave her some uh, suggestions on the hair Mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I think kind of came into play. I suggested the three 
ponytails in the back, a la Ray. I couldn't really tell if she if she had gotten it done because, of course, we had to leave before she was completed. Right, um, right. She had stylist and everything. But Jason, I think you made the most important contribution to her look that night, and that came down to the eye makeup. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was. Uh, she had a couple of different ideas going, and I, and I thought, well, you know, if you do, if you do too much. With she was going eyes. to go bold, very bold, very bold. You start to get into that that trek territory. Yes, you know, all, and all, that brought everyone to a standstill when you said that. Yeah, there was a hush. Yeah, and there was there like, was it was almost like a moral dilemma. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she didn't want to go there. Um, even though we, we were with one of the original Spock suckers. From fanboys, yeah, yeah, that's Garfunkel. Yeah, um, uh, our buddy Isaac uh, was uh, in fanboys, and uh, he is one of the two guys who came up into Hutch's comic shop at the beginning of the film, looking at a Star Trek phaser, which was put there purposely by Hutch to bait and and suss out, as he says, the Trekkies who enter his <laughs> store. So he was one of the Spock suckers who was sent packing, and that was Isaac, and he played the character known as Garfunkel. Isaac Cappy played yeah. Garfunkel in Fanboys. So we were just, like, beside ourselves. I mean, that was, like, for me, rock star. Okay. That's a Spock sucker from Fanboys! <laughs> I mean, it was just great. It was a great moment. You knew the guy looked familiar, and I, but I, I had no idea that his name in the movie was Garfunkel. And of course he has, you know, the, the curly hair and um, he's, he was taking, snapping some pictures. We were getting some pictures outside and uh, all of a sudden Jimmy goes, right here, here, snap the picture, Garfunkel. I'm like, jeez, <laughs> he doesn't know him that well. What's going on? And then I finally put it together that that was his character. <laughs> oh, voice. I see. I thought you were being I like see. way over familiar with this guy, you know? It's like, oh, no, no, no. That was, I was praising him. I was, I was, uh, you know, his iconic role will never be forgotten by me. So, uh, and, and speaking of fanboys, I know Kyle then went to opening night with Dan Fogler, mm. Hutch himself from fanboys. And Dan, of course, is riding a big wave of success with his appearance in Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. And um, he was, he was, I mean, Everyone I talked to about Fantastic Beasts to a person said Dan Fogler stole the show. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet, it's still in some theaters. It's in the second run theaters. It'll be showing up on disc in the early part of 2017 and uh, totally worth your time. Hey, before we uh, bring on our guests to talk more Rogue One, there is a story that hit um, Variety. And, of course, the cat is out of the bag about the bringing back Grand Moff Tarkin in the way of a, uh, a, well, really a digital resurrection of actor Peter Cushing. And, and of course, you know, when this, when the rumor of this first appeared, we, we talked about it quite a bit here on Rebel Force Radio about what are the ramifications? What are the moral implications? Because it's, it's much bigger than just bringing a character back into uh, a Star Wars movie. And, um, you know, I think when we had Kyle on the last time, he said, oh, my God, what are you going to do if you're Tom Cruise? You're going to have yourself forget, you know, having yourself frozen. You're going to have yourself completely digitally scanned so that that your career can outlive you and your kids will license you as an actor in in a film uh, and completely uh, generated. So really, this this Peter Cushing, uh, I, I likened it to. 
uh, I think I said on the last program, uh, you know, this is when they, they first discovered that they could create dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. I mean, I think this is every bit as significant here, um, at least to this extent. I mean, look, we all thought we might see a cameo by Grand Moff Tarkin. Would it be prosthetics? Would it be a CGI? But whatever it was going to be, it was going to be quick and over. Uh, little did we realize that this guy was going to be a supporting character in the film. But there's a great piece in Variety about this very issue and all of the, you know, what, what it implies. But what was so interesting is we learn a little bit more about Peter Cushing, the man, in the fact that uh, the deal with Disney and Lucasfilm was orchestrated by his former secretary, Joyce Broughton. She oversees his estate, and uh, there are no next of kin. Uh, and of course, we'd heard, Jim, you might recall, in a conversation we had with Dave Prouse, uh, one of the times we had the opportunity to speak with him, we asked him about being on set with Peter Cushing. And he said that he, I remember him saying he, you know, he was a lovely man, but um, sad, uh, depressed. He had lost his wife mm. and was just kind of waiting to rejoin her, was basically mm. the... The gist. Now, he lived up until 1994, so he had quite a long time uh, without his beloved. But during that time, it seems as though his secretary, Joyce Broughton, really handled all of his, um, you know, his his dealings. And she went to the London premiere. She was the one that that worked out the deal with uh, Disney and Lucasfilm, the license agreement, um, and then went to the, the, the premiere in London with her grandkids. And uh, apparently it's very hush-hush, the, the, you know, the, the arrangements. I, I, I'm sure they realize that they're setting precedent here. Yeah. They have to realize they're setting legal precedent. They're setting contractual precedent. Yes. Uh, Good so call. They're, they're very hush-hush uh, about it. But she did say, she said, I'm not a Star Wars fanatic, but I did think whoever put it together, this is uh, Peter Cushing's former secretary, um, whoever put it together were absolutely fantastic. It's not just a silly sort of thing. It's really good. She also talked about, she got quite emotional. Um, she said, you know, that's what I'm somebody... interested in. Yeah. Because I've, said, I've, yeah. I've wondered, I, I, I've, I, I've continued to wonder how does this affect the family, the surviving members of the family? Right. What do they think of it? Could you imagine seeing well, like, you know, my, my grandmother's been right. gone for 20 something 25 years to imagine seeing her like placed in a, some sort of current situation would probably floor me well i i you know i thought about that you know and and, and at some point are we going to get to a place where for a thousand bucks some company will digitally resurrect deceased loved ones and put them in home movies so they can be holding your kids. Oh so they can be walking God. you down the aisle. I mean, I'm I'm not kidding. I just no, wonder. Could you... Hey, look, there's Cousin Joe. He's he's holding baby Emma. <laughs> and Cousin Joe was actually beheaded in a horrible boating accident back in 82. <laughs> but there he is. And it was his fault, the accident, too, I must say. Now, here's boy, what... does he look good now. He <laughs> looks great. Here's what Joyce brought, and she said, you know, when you're, when you're with someone for 35 years, what do you expect? I can't say anymore because I get, I get very upset about it. He was the most beautiful man. He had his own private way of living. So there you go. Um, more details they're saying, 
according to um, uh, Lucasfilm, uh, that more details will come out uh, in January. So obviously they want to give people time to you know, experience this. And they, and they bring in go. the comparison to uh, when Fred Astaire's widow licensed uh, Fred Astaire to do the Dirt Devil commercial. Uh, Tupac was brought back to yes. life uh, for a performance. Uh, Paul Walker, of course, from the Fast and Furious franchise, uh, brought back in, in Furious 7. But I don't think anything to the extent of what we saw with with Peter Cushing. Yeah, I mean, there's no fresh footage, nothing really to work off of. Yeah. So they're basically building it up from the ground floor. It's a, it's being built from scratch. And uh, Guy Henry did a fantastic uh, performance. And I, I just want to say that because it's more than just pixels here. This is a, a legitimate acting performance. And I know we said that even going back to 99 when Ahmed Best was, uh, I mean, really the most groundbreaking CGI character to be introduced to film sure. audiences up to that point was uh, Jar Jar Binks. People forget that because he was so derided and critically ridden so hard that uh, people forget the achievement sometimes, the filmmaking brilliance. And, of course, it was followed up the next year by Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, who, right. Definitely stole the show as far as CGI goes. And, uh, of course, if you just look at Andy Serkis's career, how that blossomed following it. Uh, I mean, he's basically created an industry based on mocap characters, mm -hmm. CGI characters. So um, that influence was was huge and definitely overshadowed the great work that uh, ILM and Ahmed Best and George Lucas did to create Jar Jar Binks. I just, you know, want to say that because I, I, I just hate to hear the negativity that surrounded that film and that character going back then. And as I've said before, I think these films have aged very well. The prequels specifically, I think they've aged very well and they do stand out as being honest to goodness, cinematic, groundbreaking achievements in technology and uh so you can't take that away from them i love watching the prequels i love watching them on tnt they keep showing them and i oh, yeah. i keep finding myself stumbling onto them and losing hours at a time <laughs> well, uh, it's like but, a gift you know. you know when you see a, a favorite movie of yours on tv yes uh, it's just it's wrong to turn the channel because right like and sure present. you have the discs you have yeah, the oh, discs. Sure. but when you come across it and it's it's being broadcast live now it's an event. Yeah. Now it's an event. Yeah. So, you know, you could walk into something. Did you watch uh, TNT last night? Wh wh when were you watching? You know, you, you have that that old television experience. When I say old, I mean, that's just, uh, you know, in the days before all the home video options and uh, VCRs even, you know, mm -hmm. we would all watch the same thing and then talk about the same shows the next day at school and that's an experience that's lost on many i fear but that's a great thing about films is that when opening weekend hits that definitely fills that void because everyone's talking about the new films and so we're in star wars season here and we have a lot of uh great rogue one conversation coming your way with some killer guests jason so i i think we we can just get right into it i know that i know uh, uh this guy He's just been chomping at the bit. He's got a lot to say about Rogue One, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say. All right, let's bring him on. F.J. DeSanto joining us. Hey, hey. Oh, Yo, there FJ. he is. You got me. We got him, writer, producer, F.J. DeSanto. Sound show. What's that? Are you doing sound check? Me? 
No, sorry. Oh, I, I thought my said... headphones on. Oh, Am I getting my own show? Is this just me? Is it, you're getting your own show. This is the FJ Hour. This is amazing. Um, we're going Hanna-Barbera on this. It's actually you for a half hour, then somebody else. But it's like a wacky hour, right? Remember how they Good. used to combine like two different characters within the same hour block? I'm totally down with that. Didn't uh, You know what? That just reminded myself. Didn't Mark Hamill do the voice of Major Nelson in the I Dream of Jeannie cartoon? Oh, my God. Well, number one, who watched the I Dream of Jeannie cartoon? I didn't even know that existed. Swank was, was there I watching know? it. There was, there was uh, we'll need fact checkers, but there was an I Dream of Jeannie cartoon, and there was a, um, this was during the era of, like, Jabberjaws, and they would, bring, they would do these ripoffs of, of Curly from the Three Stooges. And there was a kind of a, a, a big, fat male genie mm. um, called, like, Babu or something. Is any of this ringing a bell? Hanna-Barbera. No. I drew right, a genie well, I, cartoon. I got it here. I got it here. I pulled it up on the, uh, okay. the Wikipedia. The, the show was just called simply Genie. Uh-huh. And it was a 30-minute Saturday morning animated series spinoff. Right. Um, and it aired from... 73 to 75 on CBS. Uh-huh. Mark Hamill as Major Mark Nelson. Hamill did indeed do the voice awesome. of Jeannie's love interest, Corey Anders. Oh, it wasn't student. Major Nelson. Oh, all right. Yeah, high school student and surfer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's some fun. That's that like FJ's sense. bio. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I have only surfed once in my life, and the best part was I had to do the lessons. It was in Hawaii. I was at a wedding, mm-hmm. and... Everybody was like, oh, my God, look at this. You know, the city boy is going to do surfing and all this shit, right? And the first time, everybody's got the pictures. This is like 10 years ago before smartphones and shit. Everybody's got the pictures and the photos, and I ride the wave in perfect, right? <laughs> on your and first then, try? On the first try, and okay. then never again. Never could, couldn't even get up on the board after that. Oh, ne- yeah, never again. It was like, oh, my neck, I got a paddle. You know, I thought somebody dragged you back. It was bullshit. You know, and then I was just like, no. Well, M- Mark never. Hamill voiced uh, Corey in that show. That's some Mark Hamill trivia. Sure. I didn't know. And that would be that would be four years prior to Star Wars. And then, Jason, you brought up the Curly connection mm-hmm. because that did seem such a thing yeah. with Saturday morning cartoons in the 70s was you would have your your gang that would be sort of like the Scooby-Doo gang. And then you would have a weird character that resembled Curly from the Three Stooges and so on. So they had a a genie. They had another genie on the show. And his name was Babu. Babu, right. And and here's 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 the the connection, though the, the Three Stooges connection. Babu actually voiced by Joe Besser. Who's the infamous sixth stooge? He was. Uh, right. Remember, you had Curly who passed away. Then you had Joe, and then you that you had someone else named Curly Joe, who then came on board after Joe had split toward the end of the Stooges' serial career. Yeah, yeah. So when they had wrapped the, up doing the, the motion pictures. Yeah, now that was yeah. Curly Joe that when they started Curly doing the, the movie. Okay, the yeah, movies that was, was Curly, Curly Joe. Joe. All right, I know. But Joe Bass actually in a deleted scene in Rogue One. He's actually, <laughs> you know, in, on the coast. Well, I did have a, a reason to bring this up. I wanted to segue into Mark Hamill. Um, you know, we've been here on Rebel Force Radio. We've been talking an awful lot about first impressions, impressions of Rogue One, and Mark Hamill weighed in. I don't know if you guys saw this. Yeah, um, I did. He really liked. It. He really, he really liked it. Mark tweeted. Um, 
He said, perfect cast, astonishing action, nonstop thrills, grabs you from the first frame and never lets go. Not just a great Star Wars movie, a great movie, period. I'm euphoric and exhilarated, ingenious the way it deepens and expands the Star Wars universe, yet works as a standalone movie. Uh, And then he coined this great hashtag, Rogue Wonderful. So reviews in from Mark Hamill. I wonder if Rogue Wonderful will... We'll catch on. What did you think, FJ? Sure, they should they should use that oh. in the advertising, actually. It was all right. I'm only kidding. I do agree, Jim. They should have that that as a blurb, right, uh, in the in the commercial. Yeah, I'm surprised no one else has run with that. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, like it's it's a great line, and it's true. You know, yeah. it's it's true. I haven't I haven't seen what I'm really enjoying most about this, and. You know, I, as one of those prequel supporters, mm. I've gotten my ass kicked for 15 years because of those. F- are we on? Or Yeah, or we're, on. we're on. We're on. But, you know, you... I didn't know we were on. I thought you were going to do the intro and all that stuff. So so let me. Oh, no, we're yeah. going. We're going modular tonight. OK, I didn't know we were doing that. I'm, I'm sorry. So, it's all right. What, what, what I'm really excited about is being a guy who loves the prequels. Right. And sort of taking a lot of flack for that for for a number of years is this is the one time, even more so than Force Awakens, where literally everybody I know is on board with this movie and right. got something out of it and loves it. And I, it, it, and it's funny because, you know, I know a lot of pains in, in the neck, I'll be nice about that, you know, who are judgmental and blah, blah, blah. And everybody can find something in this movie to love because it, it just hits every right, not just Star Wars note, but every blockbuster movie note, meaning... You know, like that's a definitive blockbuster popcorn movie and it delivers on every level. Uh-huh. And when you really take a step back and you go, oh, what, what, what didn't you like about it? And it's like the complaints I would have are so minor. They're not even worth getting into. Mm. And, and most of my comments are all simply, oh, I wish there was another half hour of this or another 40 minutes of this because I just like this story and I like this world and I like these characters. And, you know, and kudos to them for for delivering a, a note-perfect Star Wars movie. Well, FJ, you know, s- that- since you brought up the, the P word, uh, I, this is a friend of mine. I, I, I won't give his name out. I don't want to get him into trouble. Um, but he texted me this. He said, um, saw Rogue One last night. Wow, a prequel that actually contains elements that set up our story. How novel. So there's a little snark in there. This is someone I know who is not a prequel fan. Um, but when you, talk, when you look at this as, is it fair to say that this is a prequel? Um, you know, another criticism, that way we don't get into the whole, you know, we're just uh, you know, sycophants for this, for this film. There's another criticism that says, well, wait a minute, I thought this, I thought that this was going to take Star Wars in bold, brave, new directions and here it is. We're relying on you know these older, these old classic characters. Got to dust them off, and then in the case of no, Tarkin, that's got, BS. you have to resurrect that part's them. BS. Okay, that's all right. Cool. So this is your opportunity to fight that. Okay, all right. So so here's the brilliant thing. I was talking to somebody who's a, who's a prequel hater today about it, and the one thing they loved, and there, there's a you know surprisingly, and I think a lot of this has to do with the reshoots. Is a lot of this movie didn't leak out when you sort of see the final version of it. 
Right. And so there was a lot of stuff like the Jimmy Smith stuff. And I was shocked at how much it connected to the prequel trilogy. Mm. And this friend of mine who I was talking to today is also a producer was who's not a big prequel fan at all felt like the movie added value to the prequels mm. and that it justified it as connective tissue in between, you know, the prequels and, and the original trilogy. And I sort of really get that. And I really liked, you know, even little things like Mustafar being included in it mm -hmm. and the stuff with Bail Organa, mm -hmm. you know, sort of setting up, you know, oh, he served me in the Clone Wars and all this stuff that I, I thought the movie did a really good job. And I agree with that statement that I felt like it added value to both trilogies. Mm. And it's going to be this weird, you know, depending on where, where Han Solo sort of takes place in the chronology of things. Um you know, in terms of the move, the the Han movie, but oh, I I totally agree with that. I feel like it's you know it it that this movie, while it leans obviously very heavily on New Hope, you know, in sort of setting up New Hope, does take a lot of proper elements from uh, Revenge of the Sith in particular, and sort of you know connect the dots a little bit, and it it does sort of overall enhance the entire franchise, in my opinion, in terms of. When, when, when I say the entire franchise, I mean the, the actual episodes. You know, I feel like the, it's like a really cool, you know. Well, it, it certainly enhances. Zero. It's like an, if, you, if you're comic comparison, it's an issue zero. Your, your, the, your first viewing of A New Hope after seeing this film is, it is like seeing it again for the first time. It's really incredible. Though, Jim, you and I were talking a little bit earlier uh, this week, and you're struggling a bit with the need that a lot of people have to compare this movie to all the other Star Wars movies. Is it yes. that you don't feel that it's fair to compare? Or what's your, what's your beef with saying, oh, it's better than Empire. Oh, it's, it's right under Empire, better than Jedi, better than Force Awakens. In particular, yeah. well, there's well, a lot of comparisons to Force it. Awakens. Yeah, well, I, I, I think I, Prime... Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, MJ. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I didn't this know This was technically was Jimmy's question, but... I'm sorry. Yeah, real quick, I, you know, it's just my struggle with it comes from the fact that I have great difficulty ranking them. And it seems like it's this, people want to do that the second they walk out of the theater. And so I've just determined my Star Wars ranking is it's just one one line, just Star Wars. And that's all it is. <laughs> I've, I, yeah. I'd like to just, you know, lump it under one big umbrella. I found relief by binge watching the Harry Potter series all at once because then to me it just became one big sprawling epic story mm. and i didn't have a movie a, a, a movie experience where i said oh well that one didn't live up to the other ones or i didn't like that one as well it, because it was all just one long thing to me so i i felt like there was room to to branch out in all sort of different directions as far as the storytelling goes. And now with Star Wars, we've been dealing with such different eras of Star Wars over a 40-year period. So that definitely makes these films stand out more as individual pieces as opposed to one big thing. But I'm just struggling with it because I, I try to work out these scenarios in my head where I... I rank the films and I've attempted to do it a couple times since rogue one has come out and I'm always left feeling unsatisfied <laughs> with whatever answer yeah. I give. Yeah. So that's why I'm struggling, Jason. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you. I've always, and I remember gosh, when it was still three films, 
and people would ask you ask me what my favorite movie is, and my answer was always Star Wars, and they would say, "Well, which one?" And I'm like, "No, Star Wars, all of them, the trilogy, the trilogy, the yeah, trilogy, the trilogy." Um, FJ, where? When you got out of this uh, film after seeing it for the first time, did your did your head go to that place? Did you start saying, "Okay, no. where does this fall in uh, for me?" I'm with you. I'm with you. I I don't. I think the compa- any comparison uh, to any Star Wars film is is a waste of time because it's an ongoing narrative that just it hopefully is never going to end. Mm-hmm. Certainly not going to end in our lifetime at the rate we're going. So. You know, I'm that guy who just loves to be in that world and loves to be in that universe. And if you can bring new things that flesh it out, to me, it's just one long story. It's like I'm not going to sit here and say, I mean, Empire. Look, Empire Strikes Back is my favorite movie of all time, but I'm not going to sit there and and take these, you know, X Men or other movies and sit there and go, I like this one better than that one and this one, that one, because they all bring something to that overall story. So I don't care. I don't care as long as they're good. And this movie's great. You know, in terms of delivering a you know a good star wars movie but fleshing out the universe and bringing something new and fresh and i mean look we can talk spoilers obviously now but sure they they kill everybody everybody dies in this it's mental Uh like you're saying is is, is that is that the bold new direction that this film promised i think the tone is very bold i think uh, you know here's the thing i wouldn't say it's a bold new direction you know what it feels like it feels like a 21st century star wars movie Mm. Mm. you know i actually thought it was going to be darker and, I did too. I did you know, too. I actually thought it was going to be like really, really dark, and I felt the way, especially they, the way they kill Jin and uh, Andor at the end. I thought that was very cinematic and very poetic. And you know, the the dark stuff's really like. I mean, when you really think about it, the dark thing is the last five minutes where Vader's just like, "I'm going to murder everybody," <laughs> and you know, and to go back to what I always talk about, which is you have a generation. You know, Star Wars is so generational now that. You know, we were, this was part of the other conversation about this movie enhancing both sort of um, uh, trilogies in that, um, you know, I, I just feel like everything that this movie does enhances it all. And you can't really – I had a point to this that, that popped well, out of my I, I head. Well, I want to say, while you're gathering your thoughts, I, and I may have mentioned this on one of the previous um, – Rogue One shows, but this was the first time seeing cinematic Vader where my yeah. mind went to that oh, Anakin in the suit. Okay. Yeah. Here's here's the point I was trying to make is so for example, you take my nephew who I always refer to as now eighteen and he grew up with the prequels. Mm-hmm. To him, it's six movies. Right? There's right. no difference between prequel trilogy and original trilogy. Now you're gonna have a generation that's gonna grow up and the first time they might see Vader in action is this movie. Mm. So he that might make him scary as hell mm. when you when a, when a little kid, you know, if they're watching chronologically, let's say, and, and an eight, 10, 12 year old watches Rogue One, <laughs> sees Vader do all that. They're going to be scared out of their minds of him more than we were when we first saw those movies when they first came out. Oh, the original wow. trilogies. You're sitting there looking at, you know, New Hope when you talk about watching New Hope for the first time after Rogue One is you're sitting there like, I know what this guy is capable of and he's scary as hell. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I also know he's this jacked up sort of thing because I saw him on Mustafar, <laughs> you know, and that connects to the prequel trilogy. Uh, and, and that's Anakin, like you just said. Yeah, that's amazing. Vader's taking it back. And I, we're here. We have a front row seat to watch him do it. He's taking it back. He's going to be scary again. Now, Jason, mm-hmm. you have little kids. I do. You took them to see Rogue One over the weekend. 
a, a lot of people have been writing us, is this film suitable for kids? Your children are uh, four and eight? Four and four eight. Four and seven? Four, yeah. Four, four and eight. Four-year-old so, boy just, and eight-year-old girl, which, I, which you know, in some cases it matters, some cases it doesn't. I think it all comes down to, you know, how well do you know your kids? I knew my son well enough to know that the, the emotional uh, tearing that this film does... And I, I'll tell you guys, I've seen it three times. Every time I hear sniffling at the end of this movie. Yeah. Um, and the, the emotional tear really goes went over his head. He was all about the action. I will be honest, he was a little restless in the first half. That's a bit more of a setup and dialogue heavy. But that second half came in, and every time Vader was on the screen, he was excited. He was rooting for Darth Vader, which I don't know what that says about my parenting. Or my son's uh, mental health, but he was he was loving Vader. My daughter, on the other hand, who gets very attached to characters, um, was pretty quiet after it was over, and I and, and I and I had to spoil her because I just I knew her well enough to know that she would not have wanted to be surprised by that, right. um, and so I think had I not given her that the tip about what happens to everybody. Um, it would have been it would have been a much more rough ride. I say know your kids, know what they can handle. Um, this is there, I mean there there is there's an intensity to this film. Not that it, I would say it's more violent than any other Star Wars movie, but I would say the proximity that Gareth Edwards brings the action to you or puts you in to the action creates a sense of maybe heightened violence or heightened action. Um, and so, you know, you just get a little bit closer to it. I would not discourage people from taking the kids, but I say, you know, know your kids. You know, I would say six and up. I think with, with a four-year-old, I was a little selfish. Mm-hmm. I, wanted him, I wanted him to have that experience of saying, hey, I was told that my first Star Wars movie was wrong. I was told my first Star Wars movie in the theater is Empire Strikes Back. I don't count it because I have no memory of it. But... Um, I wanted him to have that moment. I may have rushed him, but he's no worse for the wear. Um, lots of questions, lots of questions from my eight-year-old daughter. You know, why did Vader, why did Darth Vader do this? Who was that guy? Did Jin and Cassian love each other? You know, a lot of stuff like that. But um, we all had a great time. It took there was about a dozen of us in the family went out, and um, we had a, we had a really really great time. And it was truly multi generational. You had. The Clone Wars generation represented the Rebels generation, the uh, the prequel generation, the original generation, classic trilogy, all that. And um, every one of us walked away very satisfied from this film, which I think speaks, you know, to uh, why it's why it's so popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Know your kids. That's the best know your kids, yeah. advice. Yeah. And four four is young to take to any sort of seems movie, really young. In my yeah. opinion. Yeah, so I, know, um, I, I pushed it, but you know, I'm I'm glad I did it because he he's been talking about it nonstop, and he he actually dressed up as Darth Vader to go to the movie, and um, he was just so excited to go see his first Star Wars movie in the theater. And yeah, uh, I think, by the way, I think Darth Vader's been watered down for so many years. Oh, he's a cartoon character, and, and this is a is a really fun sort of game changer to get him back to his roots with that because yeah. you've never seen him do all that. I mean, I, like, we were just watching the original Robot Chicken Star Wars from, uh, I think, 2007. 
I mean, Vader's just, you know, a complete buffoon in that whole thing. And that is a lot of kids from that generation. That's their introduction to Darth Vader. Look at the Lego Star Wars stuff. It's it's just a joke. They've turned him into an asshat. So it's nice to to see, like I said, we're watching him take it back. We're seeing Vader reclaim his throne. This is one of the most terrifying screen villains Yeah, I'd like of all to see time. this Vader do the hyperspace hoopla at Disney. He yeah, just there comes you go. out and Another. wipes everyone out. <laughs> right, and all that cutesy yeah. stuff, you know, Vader and son books and stuff like that. You know, I think you I think you have little kids be like he's cool, you know, now when they see that. It's scary as hell, but it's 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 still like I remember, you know, going back to my nephew who was probably I'm trying to think he maybe might have been six or something when Revenge of the Sith came out. I was really worried about him seeing Anakin on fire and mm. you know, without the legs. And we were watching, and he was sort of sitting next to me. He goes, "It's just a movie, <laughs> you know. Kids, kids are pretty smart, you yeah, know, at this point." Right. And then, but, of uh, course, a big debate ensued. I'm sure when no, you explained to him, "It's not just a movie." <laughs> no, no, he he got it. You know, I got in more trouble for showing him Kenny Powers when he was older. Kenny Powers. But, yeah, but that's a whole other thing. All right, Kenny, is that uh... the HBO show? Eastbound and down. Eastbound and down. I, I, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the poon? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Love that show. Um, so, FJ, was there anything that, I mean, you, you look, let's be honest. You're a connected guy. You're, you work in the biz and in the industry, and you followed the making of this film quite closely. Um, you had a great point about how little of this ended up being spoiled at the end of the day because of last minute edits, last minute reshoots. What was the biggest surprise? shock for you as you were seeing this did you have any oh my god moments oh yeah i had a bunch of them uh there there, there was like one or two things i mean you sort of knew I, I think it was out there that they were all gonna die anyway because they were never heard of or mentioned again and to be honest i can say this now we had heard about the vader massacre scene for a while we just didn't have a context for it etc and it was 10 times better than i ever thought it would could be mm-hmm. was gonna be um, the big sort of points for me were I didn't know anything about like Galen putting a flaw in the Death Star, which I thought was really awesome um, and is a big game changer in terms of the whole trilogy. And I really liked it for that. Um, the Mustafar stuff, I had no idea. Um, the Jimmy Smith's Bail Organa stuff sort of leaked out like in the weeks before, but I didn't know he was you know, going to be in it. I had no idea Tarkin was in it. Really? Yeah. I had no idea Tarkin was in it. And at least, and even when he came on, I, I was like, Oh, that's cool. They'll have a scene with Tarkin. And it was like, no, he's a character in this entire movie. Yeah. yeah. That's what blew me away. I, I, I was talking to somebody today and I said, I think he has more screen time in this movie or as much as he did in a new hope. Yeah. If you mm-hmm. added up the minutes. I had no idea. I thought it was going to be that one scene, mm-hmm. and that's it. And it was going to be a reflection in the mirror, and you know, and this is what they can get away with. And the the first time I saw it, I thought it was really jarring, and it, and it bothered me a little bit. The CG. The second time I saw it, I was totally invested in it. I think Leia, the CG of Leia, is kind of worse than that. Why is that, uh, guys? Real, not to get too down in the weeds. Why? Because I'm hearing that a lot. Is that you know why? Because that that, why is that? Uh, from a filmmaking perspective, that shot's very bright. And I think the the the, the video game cutscene element of it doesn't work. Whereas I think you can get a lot more when there are darker tones in a darker room, mm-hmm. like the like talking with the Death Star. And I thought that was 
I thought they had more time to work with it. So you initially see him in the reflection. You gradually ease him into the shot where she just turns around. I don't think they should have shown her speak. Like you should have heard the line. But, you know, it should have been like the ship takes off and you hear her say hope or something like that. Because it, it, it does feel a little jarring. But on the flip side, you've just had this incredible scene of Darth Vader murdering everybody. So you're, you, the movie has so much goodwill at that point that you don't really care at all. Yeah, I hope the Star, uh, the Star Wars fans, uh, you know, my fellow fans don't get too upset with me comparing. But I remember that, I, I believe I read somewhere that um, the original ending of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, um, it didn't have that little hopeful speech at the end. It ended with the, no. with the funeral. No, and no, 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 no. They- they didn't have that. They didn't have that. And so they <laughs> added it because it was such a downer. Um, and I'm wondering, I, 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 I was getting that feeling there on the third viewing, like, did they kind of, was this a last minute change? Because otherwise it would have been, you know, really quite, quite, a, quite a somber ending without that, that hope. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know because, you know, all I had heard was, I had heard different versions of how it ended. I just knew they were all going to die. I was under the impression they were all going to die together. Yeah, like, like a I ship gonna... or something. Yeah. Yeah, I had but... heard the original ending had at least a bulk of the main crew dying aboard a ship. The ship yeah. gets destroyed, and that's how the film ends. So yeah. um, there's been a lot of different reports out there, a lot of inconsistent the reports. The Rinsler book 10 years from now will be interesting. You know, I I believe um, people are holding out. I understand that there's something of an internal embargo going on at Lucasfilm as far as really getting down and dirty and discussing the behind the scenes, the making of this film, because they want people to go out, experience the magic of seeing the film at first. And then in January, people at Lucasfilm will start talking a little more openly. People like you see them now, like they're a little bit allowed even today. If you look at like Pablo's Twitter account, they're starting to show like, oh, here's where Chopper is. Here's where the ghost is. You know, they're starting. They're like, all right, now it's been out a week or a couple of days. You know, we can start showing some of the Easter eggs to get everybody to come back. You know, everybody's talking a little more freely about it. So that wouldn't shock me at all. But on the flip side, it's like, you know, the producer in me sits there and says, you know, like the fanboy in me wants to know, hey, what was the original movie? What did you reshoot? What did you blah, blah, blah. And on the flip side, there's a part of me going, why even talk about it? The movie's good, et cetera. And it's going to be one of those things in 10, 15 years, we're going to hear things where we're like, oh, sh- that was what it was going to be? Or that, <laughs> you know, because you can tell, you know, just, I mean, there's been so many articles and, and Slash Film in particular has been really good at this, um, you know, sort of going through, well, here's all the stuff from the first trailer and none of it's in the movie. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff of like Cassian and, and Jin running with the Death Star plans. And uh, you sort of get the impression that where they steal the plans and where they transmit from are from two different places on Scarif. Yeah. If you watch all this stuff, because like you have like the troops protecting them and they're jumping over, you know, and they're even using that. Like you watch the local news when people are talking about the movie or they're showing interviews with Gareth. They're still showing this footage and none of it's in the movie. Like they've been giving yeah, this marketing right. period and none of it's in the movie. And it's like, them running into battle on Scarab, running away from the at axe. Well, isn't it? Isn't it <laughs> but isn't that a great way to throw people off the scent? I mean, if you have, you know, the ability <laughs> to to do that, obviously money's a a factor. And in this case, it was because of these reshoots and in the re edits. 
Um, but that's actually a brilliant way. You can still get footage from the film. You get a sense of the tone. Uh, but it feels like phony so advertising. Yeah, that, yeah, I think it's just so late in the game yeah. that they, they have no choice. And it's a, it's not a bad thing. I mean, it provokes conversation, et cetera. But in the end, the one thing you can point to is that, hey, is the movie good? Well, right. yes. So, okay, you know, we can talk about all this other stuff with it. And it's fun to speculate what it originally was. But I walked out of that movie extremely satisfied. Like, I don't think I don't think they killed KT, KT, K2SO, um, you know, in the the archive because there was footage of him running with them For and sure. stuff like that. Right. And I, I think that alludes to what we were talking about before. Is I think they get on a ship and you think they get off the planet and they transmit the plans and then Vader just blows them the hell out of the out of space. Mm-hmm. And because that's the tricky thing. And the funny thing is I didn't catch it for the second viewing because the first viewing this is a real sort of nitpicky moment is when you watch New Hope and they're like, you know, uh, plans were beamed to this ship. And, sure. and it's like, no, they weren't. But they actually were. Like you forget there's that bit before they have that card. Yes, right. The rebels are running with. And I didn't catch that in the first movie. So I was like, wow, that's a big logic flaw. And then when I saw it again, I was like, oh, no, it's not because they did beam it to well, a they, ship. They, they beamed it. To, yeah, they beamed it to the Mon Calamari ship. Montal- ship. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It was actually a broad transmission. She even says in a line of dialogue that she blasted it out to the galaxy. So it was just you had to know to snag it. And and thankfully, the Mon Cal knew to get it. Right. But you see those rebel guys sort of, you know, looking at the plans as it's put on that card. (laughs) And then they run onto the the Tantive, you know, with it. And so, you know, you sit there and go, okay, they did address all that stuff. That's the one thing you watch out of multiple viewings is there is a lot of careful attention to detail, which, which not to knock the prequels. Cause uh, you know, I want to be clear. Cause so I don't get these Facebook and direct messages on Twitter calling me <laughs> names is Lucas really in a certain way, didn't care about certain logic points in the prequels and how they connected later. Right. He did. And this, and this movie is really tight in sort of sitting there going, okay, here's how these things all connect, etc. And, and I'm sure if I paid more attention to Clone Wars and Rebels and thought about it, it's probably like I, I just feel like this is the one thing where you say kudos to the story group where they sat there and interacted with the filmmakers and really said like, OK, here's how we can do this. Here's how we can do that. Here's how it connects to everything else. So I, I think in a lot of ways that that all works. And I think even a casual fan and like people I know who are casual fans love the connective tissue to the original movies. Taylor. Hey, and we're being joined right now, uh, FJ, by Tom Spina of Spina Designs. Tom, hey, Tom. welcome hey. back to Rebel Force Radio. Meet uh, FJ DeSanto, a good friend of ours here on the program. Hello. FJ, very good to meet you. Likewise. You know, I was, we were just uh, obviously discussing that new little movie uh, that's out in the theaters. I don't know if you know this, Tom. Uh, there's a new Star Wars movie out. Hope you get a chance to see it. Is that the one with Captain Kirk? No, 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 so, no. It's not the uh, Kirk one. Yeah. No. Right. Uh, okay. But you All know, right. I w- so that's this is the bald guy the, uh, from the from the eighties. Then. <laughs> well, I'm I was confused. about to I was about to ask FJ, and I'm glad that you're joining us um, in this discussion because t- FJ was just talking about how tightly uh, this film uh, fits in with. A New Hope, and, you know, that George, with the prequels, um, FJ, correct me if I I uh, Mm misrepresent your point, 
that there were a lot, there were threads and there were plot points that George just, in the details that George just didn't care about so much. He was telling the story he wanted to. And this lends me to think about, you know, the authenticity and where, where does the detail become this phrase that I hear all over social media, fan service? Was there too Mm. much fan service in this movie? And, and, and Tom being a guy who is an expert in authenticity and, uh, you know, in terms of the star Wars universe and helping big major brands bring that authenticity to their advertising, uh, in such a profound way, what, what, where do you think? Did they cross the line? Where does this? What is this fan service imaginary that's, line out there? Right. No, that's a really interesting question. And and all kidding aside, of course, I'm quite aware of the uh, the new Star Wars movie. In fact, I it's almost sort of it snuck up on me. I don't know about anyone else. I, I mean, I'm of an age where you always waited three years for the next movie, and then you waited. 20 years for the next movie. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you played the role-playing game in 1987, and then, like, that was, like, all you had for another decade. Oh, now that um, you bring that up, by the way, the bald guy from the 80s is actually yeah. Lobot. I don't know who you oh, were talking you. about. So. <laughs> yes, that's, <Okay>. that's <laughs> exactly who I meant. That's thank the next spin right. uh, <laughs> Well played. Um, <laughs> The uh, but yeah no they're definitely I felt like there was a bit of fan service in the movie I don't know mm. I think there's always a question of you know is fan service necessarily a bad thing mm-hmm. and I think is it maybe it's just in how you handle it and how far you go with it like I thought the um oh, we're we're in spoiler territory right there's oh absolutely no, there's no holds okay, barred no holds barred no holds barred okay excellent um <laughs> the like the the Vader uh, uh, tearing through the rebels at the end of the movie, if that had been ten seconds longer, it would have gone overboard for me, and I would have just been like, "Okay, we get it," you know. Like, really? Uh, okay. As it was, it sat. That one sat a little weird with me because I I have this, you know, this first impression of Vader being the guy who lets other people kind of deal with that. <laughs> like mm-hmm. those guys are probably beneath him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe he just needed some exercise. Maybe he was wiped <laughs> out from that. And that's why, like, in the opening of A New Hope, he's just kind of strolling in, hands on his hips, like, okay, boys, thanks for taking care of this. Well, he's I, definitely uh, surveying the situation and, and is a little bit more, but but he's pretty hands-on. I mean, literally hands-on. He's choking true. out Antilles yeah, yeah. With, his, uh, with, his, with his bare hand. How much time, guys, do you think, throwing this out to the group, do you think there is between Rogue One and um, Episode Four? Whatever it yeah. takes to make the jump to light speed to Tatooine. Really? But what yeah. I'm wondering is how they were able to track that ship to Tatooine. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like whenever a ship makes a jump to light speed, it's just like, well, well, we lost them. You right. know, there's there's <laughs> really no way around voice. it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, maybe it'll come out in a novel or something that there was a track. Oh, it's such a novel. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I know, I know. And it's ridiculous to think of. But, I mean time is really irrelevant in the star Wars universe, sure. especially in space. So it's yeah. just like whatever it takes to make that jump to light speed. So I would consider rogue one to be butting up right up against the beginning of the original star Wars. Yeah. I get the feeling it's intended to be moments before moments. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, it's like you said, there could be, it could be a perfect setup for you know, a, a little like tweener novel. They're like somewhat in between the two and, 
And maybe that time period, maybe it's a day and they do like a 24 hour novel, you know, that, that just takes you through what that day does. Or I don't know. Mm. I mean, hey, my question, here. I have a question uh, here. It, I'll, I'll ask FJ cause FJ, you, you, uh, you have a good mind for a uh, backstory and plot and the way everything unfolds, but for Vader to have come into that ship the way he did indicates to me that the Imperials had overthrown that ship. Isn't that Admiral Radis's ship? I thought the ship was disabled at a certain point, if my recollection is right, that it's sort of beaten up at a certain point before everything is done. Oh, well, they're okay. about ready to make the jump, mm-hmm. and Vader's Star Destroyer appears and blocks their path. Ah. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah, oh, oh, and then there's a, but then, but it's dis, but there's something disabled about it already. Is there? Because the shuttle, he takes the shuttle over to it. That's right. He does. He yes. does. Prepare a so boarding I feel like party. It's either, it's either disabled before that, or because everybody's leaving and majority of the fleet leaves. Um, yeah. My memory's not so good, but the <laughs> the, um, you know, I, I have a feeling that ship is already sort of done after a certain point. Yeah. And these guys are all trying to get off it. I mean, there, there's going to be an interesting, uh, you know, talking about the novels and the comics. There's going to be an interesting thing of Leia sort of like how she was hiding in that ship, in the blockade runner that whole time. You know, like who mm. planned that out? You know, is the idea is, all right, once we get the plans, you go to Ben Kenobi immediately. Yeah. I, you know, like, and she's the only one who knows where Ben Kenobi is, you know, because her father's told her. Well, what's interesting to me, if you, to, to line it up, guys, so you have, you have Leia on the tentative four, or tentative four who is, uh, her, her mission is all about going and bringing back Ben Kenobi. So is she just sort of passing through at the moment that this all happens? No, 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 no. If she was just passing through, she wouldn't, her ship wouldn't be locked up. Yeah, it's locked up in, in the, the Moncal ship, I, right. I think the idea I, is once we get the plans, you're getting the hell out of here. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. I, I, I almost is, isn't her uh, isn't her message in in uh, Star Wars that uh, her ship fell under attack and that's why she's going to Ben Kenobi. You know, maybe it's that she thought that that you know maybe she was heading to Alderaan, maybe she was heading elsewhere, and for whatever reason, that's I believe where the, I believe the, when she makes that reference, she's talking specifically about the Star Destroyer shooting yeah. at them right yeah. above Tatooine because yeah. she makes yeah. the, that she makes that hologram recording just she wouldn't prior. be in the outer rim. Yep. She wouldn't be in the outer rim if she was going to Alderaan. And she says that my mission to bring you to Alderaan has failed. Oh, there you go. That's it. So yeah. that, that is her mandate. Another question yep. that popped in my mind watching it again, you know, the third time is, you know, um, when, when Anthony Bresnikin's, uh, story started to to pop up just before the release of the film one of the comments was about uh i think gareth edwards might have been talking about vader and how you know vader is vader's conflicted you know we see vader here uh no more warm to the idea of this death star than he is in a new hope this technological terror what do you guys make of um tom start with you what do you make of vader's kind of reluctance to embrace this weapon. I mean, this is this is Anakin who talks about how, you know, people should be made to agree with each other if they're disagreeing. This is um you would think that a, a, a baddie like Vader would really be be into this type of thing, but he seems very unimpressed and thinks it's quite a nuisance. 
maybe you know maybe there's something in that time between uh revenge of the sith and this time where he's he's got a lot of alone time uh he's got his he's he's got his back to tank time he's got his me time castle where he can hang out he's there with vanay we found out that the uh the butler is vanay vanay okay well (laughs) you know he and vanay vanay knows that like okay look this is his time you let him you let him meditate you let him do his thing and uh, you know maybe this is him being more connected to the force and maybe this is george's initial message of you know this force can overpower and overtake uh technology and maybe he's uh maybe oh gosh maybe there's some metaphor for him being trapped in technology hmm. and that now is somehow That's interesting. you know kind of uh, uh, you know, works against him. It was really uh, pretty cool to see that castle finally, though. Oh, the, yeah. The, yeah, that's something. Since, gosh, after well, I mean, yeah, the first time you saw any of the Macquarie sketches of that, it's just uh, as soon as the the, uh, the scene changed and that was the next location, it was like, oh, you know? yes. <laughs> hey, Jimmy. Yes. Jimmy, um, is it is it possible that the the Death Star is over the top even for the Dark Lord of the Sith? <laughs> is that well, you know his his con- his connection to power comes from a different source. He doesn't mm. need a physical manifestation of power. He believes that he has all the power he he needs without mm. any of that sort of mechanical right. stuff. The technological terror, as you said. The thing is with Vader, and I wonder about this as I see him moving down that hallway, slicing up those Rebel fleet troopers. I love it when he lifts that trooper up to the ceiling and it cuts him in half as he walks by and the two halves fall to the floor. A lot of people miss, a lot of people miss that little uh, fairly mm-hmm. well that he gives to him as he walks by because the action is happening so fast and furious. But it got me thinking about the Superman factor. How indestructible is Vader during this era? Is his control of the dark side of the force that profound that he's completely untouchable and you know, just wiping out that squadron of troopers. It made me wonder, is he, uh, is he almost too powerful at this point? No. It's a point of where no. the power of, you know, destroying a planet as I mean, he's not, he's not blowing smoke in star Wars in the briefing room. When he says the ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the force. That's why he doesn't care about the Death Star. But he does want to keep it on the down low because he knows the Senate will you know, drop a deuce if they find out that this no, thing has been no. built. See, I have a different theory on this now after watching this movie. I know is you do because I, I kept I kept talking and I kept hearing you say, FJ, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Go ahead and rewind. You'll hear it. No, I, I'm, sure I'm sorry. The, the, my, my, I have a whole different theory after watching this movie because if, if you watch the original movie, you think like Tarkin and Vader are together and this is their their battle station. And I have a feeling after Rogue One, the Emperor sort of assigns Vader to the Death Star because they know the plans are out there. Mm. Like, mm. you know, like cause he doesn't give a shit about, sorry, he doesn't care about <laughs> the Death Star. He doesn't care. And it's everything you're saying is right on in that he believes in a higher power. He believes the force is more powerful. And they set it up in this thing. It's almost like when he has Krennic come to the castle. It's like this annoyance of like, why are the kids fighting? Dad wants me to talk to you guys. <laughs> yeah. You right. Know, together. Blah, 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 blah. You know, and Krennic, you know, who we haven't really touched on that much, 
has screwed up. And, you know, and this is now out there, you know what I mean? Like the, the pilot got away, you know, all these events to that. And so I think by the time you get to New Hope, you know, Vader's chasing those plans. He's been given a mission for a battle station he doesn't really care about. And you sort of get that if you, if you follow the comics, which are now continuity, is that it actually, the, the destruction of the Death Star uh, do two things to Vader. They it weakens him in the Emperor's eyes because it's it's seen as Vader's failure to protect it, and B, you know, he finds out about Luke and oh my God, I have a son, and that begins his sort of, you know, his arc over that original trilogy. So I think this Death Star thing is just this annoying sort of thing to Vader. This project they've been doing, where I think Vader would rather be doing what we see him do in this new movie is just kick tons of ass. Tom, what do you think is the real purpose for a director credit character? Like what 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 does he serve in the story just in terms of, you know, the Tarkin Vader dynamic? Those are the baddies. You have you got Madi in there and a, f- a couple others, you Lawrence back there, but he was just a background character. Why right. why do you feel the need to create uh this sort of bridge or this middle ground between Vader and and Tarkin? I don't know. I, you know, part of me wonders if it's just um, because you couldn't have Tarkin do it, um, you know, and they, they brought in a considerable amount of Tarkin, kind of way more than I was expecting. Mm. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we were all saying and, that, yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you couldn't have him doing what Krennic's doing, but it could have easily been that character. You know, I, I think it's, it's as simple as the story needs a bad guy, and, and mm-hmm. that idea of the... Um, yeah, there's gotta be, there's, there's always middle management. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but I did think Mendelssohn was great. Um, I was very, um, very taken by, by, uh, his, um, his portrayal. I thought his look was great. I love the Cape. I love that, you know, Tarkin initially had a Cape in the first film and they wound up not using it. Um, the actual, I didn't know that. is that true? That is true. The cape is yeah. out there too. Yeah, in the early, uh, apparently in the early concepts, he he had a cape. They made it, and it never got used. And mm-hmm. and it's in it's in a collection somewhere. Wow. Um, I think it turned up with the uh, the costume rental house years ago. Wow, that's um, I had no idea. But so that's a that's an old concept then, because I, I I thought he maybe yeah. had a little bit of uh, Vader envy. That that's kind of what that symbolized <laughs> I, a little bit, like could could be. I did. I like that they went with the sort of you know Wolf Yularen, uh, the 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 white, yeah, uh, you know the the more obscure of the uh, of the Imperial officers. You know, you always have your you always see the greens and the black officers, but it's nice to see a white one actually get something to do. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, um, I, I, even if he even if he really wasn't the best at his job, you know. Yeah, well, you know, he, he wanted it so bad that he was willing to, you know, push this guy who was, you know, fighting him all the way, and he was blind yeah. to the obvious that this guy was yeah. never going to be a true believer, and was never going to, uh, you know, completely submit. I have this idea in mind, and maybe I'm crazy, but I have this idea that Vader is somewhat annoyed by the Death Star because it probably, in his mind, is distracting Palpatine from what Vader thinks is their real mission. And I can imagine that Palpatine is all eaten up with this thing. That's all he wants to hear about. 
And, you know, and Vader, Vader's still trying to stop death. Vader's still trying to, I think, in my mind, um, master the dark side of the Force. And I think Palpatine is leaving him kind of in the lurch and has been distracted by this uh, technological terror. I, I think, in my mind, it shows a little bit of a rift between his priorities and Palpatine's priorities. Wow, that's interesting. You know, Palpatine is doing in this film exactly what he does. Uh, in the novelization, there's the the prologue to the novelization that says Palpatine had shut himself away from the general population and only made himself available to sycophants and bootlickers. And, you know, I, so I think he's describing Tarkin right there. Access to the emperor, very limited. You can tell by the way Krennic is discussing his status with Vader. So you'll mm-hmm. tell the emperor, you yeah, know, I mean, right. he knows he knows that he's actually Vader, asking him for a meeting, I think. That's his only in yeah. to the Emperor, and here right. Krennic is handling the most significant bit of weaponry that the Empire will ever need, and yeah. he's he does he doesn't have access to the Emperor, so he's really shut himself away. Great observations, Jason. So I want to throw right. another one at you since you've been asking all the questions, Jay. After seeing Rogue One, Jason, what has changed? about any assumptions or conclusions that you had already drawn up about the relationship between Vader and Tarkin? Um, I think before, I assumed that they probably knew each other pretty well, that they had worked together. I get the sense that they probably don't. I, I feel as though Vader is almost a, at least I like to think he's sort of a secret weapon by the Emperor that gets dispatched very sparingly. So I don't think he's hanging out in boardrooms. In fact, I now I look at episode four and I see that briefing room scene and it's like Vader's a little inappropriate. He does, He's not playing politics. I mean, well, he's choking the guy, so he's a lot inappropriate. A little. But, but, yeah. but he, um, he's, not, he's certainly not polished. Uh, he's not a diplomat or he's, he, there's, there's nothing diplomatic about him. So I don't see him mixing with Tarkin very well. So I think that's probably my biggest takeaway is, yeah, these guys probably really don't know each other or haven't really worked together all that much. What do you think, FJ? Um, I see. I was trying not to do the whole background noise thing. Um, <laughs> the, 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 I was wondering that after the first time I saw it. And the second time, you know, you sort of have Tarkin refer to Vader a few times, like, oh, Vader's going to handle that or Vader's going to do this. And I, I feel like Tarkin is just the smarter politician here. He knows if he's going to curry favor with the Emperor, you know, he's got to play ball with Vader. And if Vader's being sent in to do all this stuff, he's got to let him do his thing. If you think back to episode four, you know, there are times where he orders Vader around a little bit. You know, Vader, yeah. don't choke him. Don't yeah. blah, blah, blah. So it, here's the weird part is, and I know there's been a Tarkin novel and, all this stuff, which I, I haven't read, so maybe I'm missing elements of this, is, and, and I, I'm interested to know the backstory with Krennic and the Death Star, because I, I do know from my own, some research that the Death Star was called the Tarkin Initiative at some point. Am I right about that? Yes, and they refer to that in uh, some of the, uh, the spinoff books I have, the visual right. guide, and in the novelization. It's known okay. as the Tarkin Initiative. And he does right. try to claim credit for the idea. He does. In the he most certainly right. does. And he's and and what people I'm surprised haven't mentioned more of is he's in that last shot in Revenge of the Sith. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he he's right. there with Vader and Palpatine. So mm. so there is a sort of a relationship that must exist in some way, shape, or form already. And you sort of sit there and you sort of realize, well, how egotistical was Krennic if this wasn't his idea? I feel like Krennic's the guy was the, was sort of the not the maintenance guy, but the contractor who sort of put this exactly. together for Tarkin. Huh. And and then sort of when they can't figure out whatever this is, that's where Galen comes in and all that stuff. And, you know, and Krennic has that relationship. So I, I have a feeling it's a combination of Tarkin really in the end is just the smarter politician. Mm. But on the flip side, you know, it, it's interesting because the plans get out and it's it's Galen, uh, not Galen, it's, it's Krennic's fault and never Tarkin's, which is yeah, really interesting right. to me. Uh, you know, how, like Tarkin, it's his project, it's his show. And he's taking it back by the time this movie's over, yet there's absolutely no repercussion of the plans getting away. It's Krennic who's going to be the one who has to, you know, sort of take the blame. And I, I was actually shocked that um, Krennic was not killed by the Empire. I just always assumed at the end, mm-hmm. like, Vader or Tarkin would have him sort of wiped out. Uh, yeah. Um you know, and it, it, and I have a feeling that I like Tarkin sort of knowing Krennic is down there, et cetera. He's like, just blow up the city. <laughs> right. That's true. <laughs> like, there's only one way we can be absolutely sure to get this guy. Just just, just get the whole thing. Right. Yeah. All right, good enough. Yeah. Wait, it's, it's, it's wait like, aren't those yeah. our important information archives? Uh, That's what I was Somebody's got a backup, like Mosey or something. <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll right, be fine. Just right. blow it. Just blow the whole thing up. You know, the funny thing is, I have a question. This is, this is a weird sort of nerdy thing, is I was watching Force Awakens um, over the weekend after I'd seen the movie. And there's the line where Kylo says to Rey, you know, we have the, a map based on the archives of the Empire. And... I just wonder if, like, you know, was there stuff still left on Scarif or, mm. you know, did they go back to it? At some point? It's just a nerdy little side note. But the, the idea is, is there some connective tissue? Because I, I personally think there, there's more connective tissue than we realize in Rogue well, One to the new, the new trilogy. I was and just I think gonna, Mustafar is a big part of that. I was just going to ask you guys that because, of course, anytime there's uh, anybody sneezes Star Wars, it's like they see a Snoke. You know, it's like Elvis's right. ghost. Oh, yeah, they yeah. see it everywhere. You know, <laughs> Elvis is everywhere. Van Vanee is Snoke. Well, that, like... the, Vanee, they're saying, Vanee, you know, that's the one that's Snoke. But I want to ask you guys that. Do you, FJ, I mean, you, you came right out and said that you think that they're, that they're laying some groundwork in this film for uh, pickups or ideas in subsequent movies. What do you, is, do you guys think that that's so? Do you think there are going to be threads that we're going to see and we're going to go, oh, yeah, yeah and Rogue One... There was this, there was that, like say in episode eight, for example. I think there's minor stuff like that. I think, I think, I don't think you set up that castle and somebody's not there, like Kylo or Snoke or somebody in the next movie. Right. I, I just don't, I, just, I don't think you go through all that and set up something so cool. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing is, and this is something we haven't talked about at all, and, and I, I was emailing you guys, or maybe I wasn't emailing you guys about this, but I was going to because we were talking about Cherit, who's my favorite character in the whole, mm-hmm. you know, new him and Baze, I think are just awesome. And I want to know their whole backstory. And I feel like they should just do a Netflix series of just those two guys. <laughs> I'm serious when yeah. I say that, um, yes. you know, that's cool. I like that because idea. I think there's, yeah, I think the one thing with rogue one is you've left so much open in the backstories of everybody that you could do so many prequels with those characters. 
hmm. you know, like who they were before. But he, the Guardians I, of the I Wills, have, that's, that would be a great well, series. Well, that's the thing. Does Guardians that connect the to the Guardians of the Wills connect to Lor Santeca? Hmm. Hmm. You know, I went back and grabbed my visual dictionary or whatever it is from Force Awakens and the Church of the Force and all that. And a lot of that seems connected. And, and again, I don't think there's going to be blatant things where it's like all of a sudden somebody's going to be talking about Galen Erso in episode eight. <laughs> right. But I think there's going to be, be like a reference of, you know, we got this on Scarif or we went to the Kyber, blah, blah, blah. And everybody knows what a Kyber thing is now. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, little, little nods that are tiny little bits and pieces that people can you know, make a call back to. We so, do have a, um, FJ real quick while, while we're thinking about share and we're talking about share The question had kept getting asked primarily by me is sheer force sensitive or is he powered by his faith? And on the star Wars.com data bank for the entry for shared Imway, it reads deeply spiritual. Sheared Imway believes all living things are connected through the force. His sightless eyes do not prevent him from being a highly skilled warrior. Though he lacks force abilities, this warrior monk has rigorously honed his body through intense physical yeah, and mental. Because he's daredevil. This is this is why I sent that. Yeah, yeah I struggle <laughs> with this one. I have spent I have spent all week arguing this, and I got into this with Kyle. I got into this with everybody. He is he's not a force user, and that's what makes him awesome. Yes. Because if it's just a force user, then right. it's, it's, it's the the whole idea of the faith and the belief that this guy's just going to walk out in the middle of this, you know, war to flip this switch and give up his life. It, I it's mean, the exact opposite of that Vader scene at the end. It, it, you're literally seeing, and that's why I've, I want to know more about those characters. Is you know, and it, the beauty of that whole scene, which nobody really touches on, it actually people forget that Bays in particular, was also one of these guys and lost his faith and gets it back through that sacrifice. And that's awesome, right? That That is so awesome. And it, it makes their existence in this movie completely justified. And, I, you know, I, I just think if you make him a Force user, the character's defeated. And, I, I, you know, and I, I his... his not to make it it's so on the nose to say this, his blind faith mm, in well, the, those things are awesome. I think that's why I, I think that's exactly what it is, though I'm I'm kind of on the other side of this. I feel as though that when you display that type of <laughs> that, that type of power that that there is and should be some type of force magic or even if it's uh, even if it's really mind over matter, I mean, um, if the force is in everything and binding everything and in between everything, um, he would be tapping into that. But that's, that's splitting hairs. Tom, what are your thoughts on this with with Chirrut? Why 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 something that straddles that line between you know force user, not force user, etc. I, I'm I'm okay with it. I think the idea of I liked when they first said, you know, Rogue One is gonna be a Star Wars movie without a Jedi. And that's okay, great. Like we could use that right about now. Like we've we've done that a lot. Uh you know, so um this was a way to put a little of that in there in hopefully an interesting way. But yeah, he's Daredevil. I think that was actually a really good way to put it. Um I I'm You're okay with 
I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> Someone displaying that kind of it's, power, and, and it, because it, it it's new, yeah, it's it new to the Star it, Wars. It universe. definitely was on the border. But then you think about it, you know, C-3PO and R2 made a similar kind of dash across <laughs> a firefight in the beginning of A New Hope, and nobody and, was like, oh, "That 3PO's got to be a Force user, or at least have some blind faith," you know? <laughs> right? No, they were just getting to the escape pod. They'll be fine. I, I love FJ what you said, and you said it very quickly. I think what you were saying is that. Um, Chirrut's walk is like the inverse of Vader's attack. Mm-hmm. You know, Chirrut doing this through purity and faith and belief and succeeding in his mission. And you have Vader doing the exact opposite, total aggression, attack, etc. That's, that, that's a beautiful juxtaposition there. Tom, it would be a mistake to have you on and not talk to you about the level of authenticity uh, or maybe as you've seen it, lack thereof, I don't know. How do you feel they did in terms of, uh, you know, v- visuals, set design, um, aliens, pieces, yeah, aliens. What, what, aliens, what, 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 what you gra- say, <laughs> aliens. <laughs> what, well, uh, but, what grade would you give um, it uh, sp- from Spina Designs? I mean, you know a little I bit think, about this. Yeah, no, I mean, I thought that that aspect of the movie um, – you know, really fired on almost all cylinders. I thought the uh, the settings were great. I just it was a lot of locations. I mean, and maybe you know, I I've only still I've still only seen it once, and I feel like whenever you get a movie like this, especially with as many locations and characters and action and things like that, it really does take multiple viewings to be able to absorb it and actually form a good opinion of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still in the like soaking it in phase, but um, you know the 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 locations were great. They were diverse. They were really cool. I loved the one in the asteroid. I thought that was really neat. Um, the aliens, you know, it's just nice to keep seeing practical aliens. I thought, you know, the one miss, and I'm sure everybody's talking about this, is whatever the squid thing was that. Oh, the bunk know, alien. Yeah, and it, it, what was weird is that they set it up and maybe this is something with edits or whatever, but you know, they set it up as it it was going to make this guy crazy. And about like four minutes later, he's like, huh? Oh yeah. I'm the pilot. I'm good. Oh no, no, no. You're talking Um, about the Jimmy. Yeah. No, he's not talking Um, about the squid alien. He's talking about, no, not no, the not bunk the bunk yeah, Oh, I'm sorry. I know what you're talking about. No, no. I'm but, talking about whatever that big it. tentacle thing was. Oh, more Sagreras. <laughs> I was, I was, you know? I was setting you up to do it. Jimmy loves this thing. Yes. Oh. You're speaking of Borgullet. Who knows the truth? <laughs> Lies. Lies. Very good. Deception. <laughs> what was he inhaling, by the way? Yeah, good. You know, question. I think it was nitrous oxide, very right. much like Frank Booth in Blue Velvet. Right. Dennis Hopper. I was expecting was him to paranoid or paranoid as it kept going. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, that's one of those things where I, when they said it, it's like yeah, the side effect is it drives you mad or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was like, oh, all right. So I thought we were going to get the pilot as sort of the um, river song from uh, not river song. That's Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> river from Firefly. The, you know, slightly off character that's that's now going to be just a little tweaked the rest of the way through. And we really need some information from him. Wow. Um, That would interesting. They just very quickly that went away. And it was just it was I was a little like, oh, all right. Well, then why would you even have the big, giant, silly, you know, CG monster? Um, But, uh, yeah, it was nice. The the little 
Dr. Evazan Walrus Man cameo, you know, um, that it's nice to see them in, in action again. <laughs> I, I did think, you know, they did something there. This always reminds me of, I forget what, I want to say it was one of the early um, EU novels. And I feel like this is something you see in a lot of, uh, some of some of the novel stuff, some of the, the certainly a lot of fan films, where you have a character that's known to say something, and it's just what they always say. Then in every other iteration, <laughs> it's like no, they can use other words. But I, I felt like they did that a little with Doctor Evazan. But yeah. I remember there was Muff Jer Gerard was in something. Muff Jared, Jared, sorry, yeah, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, and it was like he was in one of these novels, and it was like everything was about doubling and redoubling efforts. And I'm just like, the guy has a vocabulary. Allow him to use it. Um, but, you know, they play it safe. Um, they want it to sound uh, like the character. Yeah. I loved – I thought the costumes were cool. Cassian's jacket is just – is badass. Mm. Um, I thought uh, – <laughs> there's one thing with the aliens that um, a couple of guys and I were noticing – if you look at most, it seems like a lot of the ones that they sort of focused on, they're all kind of each in their own way, a little bit of an ode to Itchy from the holiday special. Um, they really? all have this sort of squished face, eyes tight to the mouth, tiny nose, mouth in a sort of upside down triangle. And uh. like you have that one sort of kind of badass guy that was part of the rebels. Even the white furry guys a little like him. The space monkey on the plane's got the same mouth and eye thing. Even Warwick Davis. It's just one of these, like, <laughs> I keep looking. I'm like, man, somebody really liked the look of Itchy and was just like, make them all look like Itchy. This is great. No. <laughs> um, what about uh, what about Vader? We, we're hearing this, what is people calling it skinny pants or tight jeans Vader uh, or something. Really? Where's this? I, 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 this is a meme that's taken off with some people. Um, how did Vader look for you? He, shashes, he sachets. He sachets to critic. He does have I've a heard bit people of a sachet there. Yeah. What? I've heard people say that he approaches Krennic in a very sissified way. Oh. Uh, when we saw him approaching Krennic in the trailers, everyone thought he was intimidating as hell. So what yeah. has changed? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I need to see it again to watch for the sachet. I thought his, he looked a little beefier. He looked a little more like kind of Return of the Jedi, Dave Prowse, sort mm -hmm. of like that beefier across the shoulders sort of look than uh, the first movie where I feel like he was a little narrower. Well, if you're um, talking about Jedi, it very well may have been more Bob Anderson than... Uh... True. Well, and it could have been that they just inflated the, uh, the the way they connected the shoulder armor to fill out because it was Bob Anderson and not Dave Prowse, right. and they sort of overdid it. Mm, um, interesting. Whereas yeah. in, in the first movie, he's he's a little narrower across the shoulders. Right. Um, they definitely... They, they saw the red eyes and pumped those up a little bit. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody at the shop... So at the studio, we've been making fun of Vader's pun all week. I'm sorry. I, making fun of Vader's what? Oh, the pun. pun uh -huh, you know? Uh -huh. Okay, the, the, all right. Uh, we kept... We were thinking, like, you know, he was going to do, like, the Austin Powers. Like, he'd do, like, don't choke on your ambition. And then, like, no reaction. He's just like, uh, Sith got your tongue? You know? And, like, <laughs> no, no, nothing. Like, he'd just go through a few of them until uh -huh. he got the right yeah. one. And then he'd, like, you know like the beginning of CSI, like, yeah, and put on like really red shades, like just super <laughs> red and just sachet out of the room, you know? <laughs> All right. So you've, you've been up close and personal. Uh, what is the deal with the red lenses? The first movie lenses are, 
they're not they're not really red. They're sort of they're um, amber, sort of an amber, or you know, even just a smoke. And you're seeing a bit of mm-hmm. prowse through there, and the skin tone combined right. with that tone of the lens creates the reddish look. I mean, I personally, I love the first movie look on Vader. I love the the red lens is a small chin vent, the little kind of uh, the the robes on the outside of the upper armor to me is just it's a little more samurai it's a little cooler i never i don't know what happened you know like the next movies he's just like i'm gonna tuck these under that's <laughs> you know this armor's looking good today i'm gonna show this off or it's uh-huh. um but uh i did you know what i thought was pretty cool about vader in this one they i thought they did a good job with the process on james l jones voice mm. And I almost think that they pitched him up a little bit yep. to bring him back to that era. Got it. Um, and I feel like that's something that just keeps getting missed. Yeah. You know, like in, in other iterations, even Revenge of the Sith, you know, you hear him talk and he just, he sounds like James Earl Jones now, not back then. Right. It was really, really good on their part. That was, that was exceptional. Yeah. Good call on that one. I believe you're right. They pitched him up a little bit, a step or two. I mean, nothing uh, chipmunks-esque, right. but, uh, but, you know, just enough to bring out a little more of the clarity in his voice, yeah. uh, maybe a, a more youthful sound. I picked up on that as well. And that's, you know, you, you hear the difference when you uh, see Vader on Star Wars Rebels, too. You hear the mm. James Earl Jones voiceover is maybe just a, a little more the, the current day. J.K. Yeah. is me and uh, all of his Well, it's kind of like, what was it in the beginning of... Uh, was it Age of Ultron where they had Robert Downey Jr. and they pitched up his voice when he was the younger Downey Jr.? Like that was really like it was a nice, subtle touch, but it made a big difference. Well, gentlemen, we could go on all night long talking about this. Why don't we? Let's just go. We'll keep going. No, we, we, we want to be respectful of your time. Um, but it's been really, really fun. Uh, F.J. DeSanto, uh, of course, uh, well known to Rebel Force Radio listeners. I'm sure you'll be on again soon but uh if folks in the I meantime so. want to uh hear more about your uh feelings about rogue one where's a good place they can do that online where are you where are you ranting these days fj twitter is always at fj DeSanto. awesome all right man thank you so much for oh thank being you here. do you have any uh last words that you want to leave us with on your uh rogue one reaction here no i'm just so excited it was as good as much better than i ever thought it was going to be and i just feel like Star Wars is just in great hands with this current regime and is only going to get better. Absolutely. Well, Merry Christmas, FJ. Likewise. And, thank uh, you. I, we hope you get a lot of uh, cool vintage Star Wars toys under your tree. I, I hope so, too. That's a great <laughs> wish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and Tom, how about you? Where can folks uh, follow the latest uh, and greatest? So, um, yeah, yeah, uh, TomSpinaDesigns.com, and follow us uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, all of that. It's always slash TomSpinaDesigns. Uh, look us up. We've actually uh, – I will make a point of, of touching back with you guys probably in about uh, two to three months. We'll have something very big and interesting to uh, announce, and I'll make awesome. sure to get you guys in on the ground floor. And uh, It'll be – it's very exciting. We're going to be it's going to be a little crazy at our studio for the for the the foreseeable future, but um, Well, that's I'm a nice tease. If yeah. people follow us, they will they will be the first to hear and see about it. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much and uh great talking with you as always and best to you and all of your uh all the folks there at Tom Spina Designs over the holiday season. 
Ah, thank you so much. Yeah, happy holidays, both of you guys as well. Thanks for having me, and uh, you know, hopefully they just keep coming out with these Star Wars movies because it's fun to talk with you. For sure. All right, man. Take care, <laughs> FJ and Tom Spina. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Take care. Right. Cheers. Bye. You know it, you love it. From Tops comes the digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. Yes, collect and trade over 1,000 officially licensed Star Wars digital cards. All of your favorite characters, vehicles, and locations from the Star Wars universe are here, including replicas of those amazing and iconic original 1977 top Star Wars trading cards to futuristic all-new cards with exciting digital twists. Download it today in the App Store or in Google Play, and of course, we're using the Star Wars Card Trader app here at Rebel Force Radio. You can always trade with us here 24-7, 365 days a year. Just search username Rebel Force Radio and do it all from the comfort of your mobile device. It's the Tops Star Wars Card Trader app. These are the cards you're looking for. All right, before we bring on our next guest, I want to take a time out and thank our good friends at Little Debbie. Yes, Little Debbie is the best. I have I have a nice big care package here from our friends at Little Jeez. Debbie. Yes, yes because Must Little be Debbie. That Little Debbie fruitcake that. Uh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh-huh. We, we use the fruitcakes we get uh, as uh, doorstops around here. This <laughs> is Little Debbie's uh, Christmas collection of snacks is something that everyone eats because I'm looking at empty boxes here right now. Empty boxes of Little Debbie Christmas gingerbread soft cookies. Mm. We have eggnog cake rolls. Those are fantastic. If you can find those, I I love those. North Pole Nutty Bars. I'm surprised there's still some left in this box. How about the the red velvet cake uh, yes. The trees, the Christmas the trees. Christmas tree cakes. They're called red velvet Christmas tree cakes, and you can only get them from Little Debbie, and they melt in your mouth. Uh, so do the Santa brownies and everything, all the good treats from Little Debbie. I feel guilty that I've been uh, keeping this stash of Little Debbie here in my uh, studio away from all the grubby hands because I know if I put it out in the public, in the open, it's gone. It'll just be gone. And uh, that's what makes Little Debbie so great. Everyone loves Little Debbie. They see the Little Debbie logo and they know that logo stands for quality. And that's what Little Debbie does. They create quality snacks that Star Wars fans love. And you guys say it loud and say it proud each and every week on social media. We comb it. We look for you guys talking about Rebel Force Radio and Little Debbie and what makes Little Debbie so amazing. So, Jason, I think we have a tweet this week. We do. We've got uh, Brandon Wade at Brandon the Bard on Twitter. He says, finally, all in caps, about to go see Rogue One. Sing it loud and sing it proud in my Rebel Force Radio hoodie. Hashtag Little Debbie. Hashtag Luke Face. So I think he's doing a Luke face here, like maybe oh, uh, yes. end of uh, episode uh, seven, perhaps. Very intense look. Yes. Um, so, I, you know, with the intensity, the Rebel Force Radio hoodie, uh, I, we got to give it to we got to give it to Brandon. 
That's right, Brandon. So if you're listening, get a hold of a show at rebelforceradio.com. Send us your shipping address, and we will send you a little Debbie Galactic snack pack filled with all of the great treats that makes Little Debbie the most famous name in snacking. So that's going to be showing up right at your doorstep. We do it each and every week here on Rebel Force Radio because Little Debbie loves Star Wars fans. We like to give back to the Star Wars fan community. And of course, Little Debbie is the official snack of fans across the galaxy. And speaking of Star Wars fans... Hard to find one bigger than our next guest. Joining us in the cantina, musician, the drummer from Fallout Boy, our pal, Andy Hurley. Light him up! Andy! Hey, how's it going? Hey, good, man. Good. I'm here with Jason, and we are ready to talk Rogue One with you. Awesome. Sounds good. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear. Uh, Can you hear him okay, Jason? I can hear him great. Andy, when last we uh, spoke, we were fresh off of seeing Rogue One for the very first time uh, at the after party there in L.A. Uh, Have you seen the movie again since? Uh, Yeah, I did. I saw it again on opening night, I guess, Thursday night at 7. Yeah, and what did you what did you walk away with on that second viewing that you didn't catch on that initial screening? I think well, first off, I watched it with all my friends, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And like, and I'm talking like 30 people, so yeah, that that alone was amazing. <laughs> right. Um, I think I took a lot of the emotion. It, it hit me harder, you know. Yeah. yeah. Even though I knew it was coming, it still seemed to hit harder than it did the first time because the first time is such a surreal experience which i think may last the next few movies before i'm used to seeing a new star wars movie each year you know That's i think a it's really still gonna good point yeah that is a great point it still feels unreal that we're getting these and we're seeing them as we're seeing them yeah absolutely and um yeah, i totally which, agree which which you said that the emotion was brought uh, forward a little bit more in the second viewing. Which character or characters uh, did you really find yourself, you know, relating to or or thinking about most? I mean, everyone, all of the actors do such an amazing job. I think I can't remember. I, I can't remember their names even after two viewings. That's okay. Uh, but that, that's that's why we're here. The character that Danny. Yeah, exactly. The character that Danny Yu, Danny Yo. Danny Yen played Sherid. Yes, him and his friend. What I love about this movie that I think it makes it one of the best Star Wars movies ever made mm. is that it's such a focused thing with, you know, a concrete point that it's making, like a concrete story it's telling, and that that's it. Mm. So I think I prefer, I think The Force Awakens is, is my favorite because... It's new, and I love where they're going, and I love the big epic scope of, you know, a continuing saga. But this movie is right up there with Empire and Force Awakens and that because it gets to be so focused. And I think in two hours or whatever, they did such a great job of introducing and making me care about all these different characters. And I think their story, especially with, you know, how, I don't know, anxious... um, Mm. Danny Yen's character is when he repeats the mantra until the end where he finally like calms down and accepts the force. And then just that moment where he does his thing. And then that gets passed on to his friend who then 
finally kind of, you know, almost like an, a Han Solo and Force Awakens moment where it's like, oh, I get it. Like, this is real. Yeah. That moment is, is amazing. Let alone the probably the greatest moment in any Star Wars, which I think we've all been waiting our entire lives for, which was the Vader scene. Oh, my uh-huh. God. We can't stop talking about it, Andy. I mean, it was just so intense. So uh, take us take us there with you into the theater. And we're in that darkened corridor with those rebel fleet troopers, and all of a sudden that crimson blade appears. What were you thinking, and what did you think? Oh, I, I, I lost my mind. I was going nuts. I mean, even the second time, when I know it's coming, I was just losing my mind even more for my friends to see this moment. <laughs> Yes. Like knowing like whatever they think of the rest of it, which I knew they were going to love. This is the moment I think every Star Wars fan or any new Star Wars fan, this will make them a fan. Like this is that was just one of the best and most satisfying Star Wars moments. Like (laughs) you've never seen Vader like that before. No, like it, it was brutal. It was. It was crazy. We saw it with my, my friend brought his kid and I was, it's kind of, I wonder how she, she took it. Like, yeah. it's such a crazy moment. How old was she? She's six, I believe. Six. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty young. Um, and she was scared of Kylo Ren. Oh, so I can't imagine how scary this must have been. You no know? kidding. Okay. But how did she see him afterwards? Did you, did she seem shaken she, up or was she all right? Well, she was wearing a like a Darth Vader dress thing, which uh-huh. was awesome. <laughs> and she said she loved it. I didn't get any read or feedback if it scared her or not. But it was kind. Of, I mean, there are so many of us who are, you know, going around talking about it. So I'm, well, sometimes, I'm, I'm interested you know, sometimes in asking it's... her. Go on in. What's that? Uh, you know, oh, sometimes it's asking just her parents what they think, what what she thought. You know. Yeah. Sometimes it's just fun to be scared. You know, it doesn't even matter how oh, yeah. old you are. Yeah, you have fun getting scared. And you know, Darth Vader, I mean, that's hey, so you you're in um you're you're in a great band and every guy in the band loves Star Wars. I know this for a fact. You love Star Wars, Pete, John, Patrick, all you guys love Star Wars. So have have you guys discussed this film? What do the other guys in Fallout Boy think of it? I haven't talked to Patrick or Joe about it yet. Uh-huh. I need to text them. It's been it's been a crazy week in Portland with some really bad weather and accidents and friends getting stranded. It's just been a lot. Oh my god! With Star Wars being the you know the the silver lining, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but obviously, I talked to Pete and have still been talking to him after you know just little things that we kind of think of, and we both walked out with our minds blown. Andy, you talked about how this movie, you felt one of the strengths of it was that it was a a tighter, more confined or self-contained story. So does that make you really optimistic about these what they call stories or standalone uh, adventures that we're going to get in between the big episodic films? Oh, absolutely. I think they did such a great job. I mean, I can't imagine the, the pressure Gareth Edwards must have been feeling like. I wonder what he thought of the screening we were in. I mean, it had all the the cheers and and the moments with with the crowd. So I, I you know, I hope he felt that we loved it. But he did. He it was a slam dunk. You know, it was a home run. 
Yeah. And if they if they approach all of the movies like this, where they give the directors kind of like how Marvel is doing it, where directors get to do their own takes mm-hmm. on this, like this felt like a war movie. It felt like a heist movie at the same time. It, it didn't it felt different, but it also I think a lot a lot of my friends, I think, liked this more than Force Awakens. Be, and I imagine it's because it felt like the Star Wars we grew up with, you know, like as much as it felt like a totally different movie, it still felt like a Star Wars movie. Yeah. It did. It had all the right elements. What'd you think of Jin? She was the real standout to me. I was surprised at how much I was really invested in her character. What What did you think of Jin? Oh, absolutely. I, I loved her. I thought she did an awesome job and her character is, is amazing. And, and, Jin and um, Ray is it's really great to see, you know, I was talking about my friend's daughter and she loves those characters. And it's such a great like thing to have role models for for younger girls who are getting into Star Wars. Um, So it's great. I I loved it. I thought she nailed it. She definitely carried the movie. But the, the entire cast was absolutely perfect. What about Forrest I mean, Whitaker? Shame. I was just going to say, it's a shame we didn't get more of Forrest Whitaker. Yes. It's so great how they connected, you know, Clone Wars with this. I'm, I have to yes. go back and rewatch those episodes now. Um, well, have you heard the I news about, see... about Rebels? Yeah, I heard. Yeah. And, and I'm so excited for that. So we're going to get even um, more Saw. I understand yeah. that there was supposed to be some additional Saw Gerrera footage this is stuff we've been hearing behind the scenes. Additional Saw Guerrero footage that actually featured a backstory about Saw and revealed how he, he ended up with those injuries was actually in a battle, hand-to-hand combat with Darth Vader. So wow. um, yeah, I think he was on the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the delivering end of the uh, saber, and that's why he didn't have his leg and he had all those other problems. Wow. So, hey, when he was... Um, we brought this up earlier tonight, but nobody really gave an answer for it. What was going on when he was hitting that that oxygen mask? I, I don't think he was taking in oxygen because to me it seemed like he would have moments of clarity after he yeah. would take a breath of that. What, what do you think was going on there? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I have a feeling it could be like some kind of pain med yeah. where mm-hmm. he's just walking around in excruciating pain, maybe like Darth Vader. Like a right. similar but opposite version. I mean, he he obviously had. It, it seemed like there was hints of that, that he did seem cloudy like and then a, he like do a that morphine and then drip or it something. Focus. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Something where you know, at certain moments when he needs clarity, he'll he'll do that. That, that was my take. How about uh, you know, you know, a guy, a guy. I call him a guy, but I don't know if I can get away with that. He's a squid. <laughs> Who uh, has kind of become a kind of become a mascot here at Rebel Force Radio? Good old Borg Gullet. What what was the purpose? What was your understanding of, of Borg Gullet's purpose in this film? Was that uh, the, the the big mind? turd the turd with the tentacles that was attacking that, Bowie uh, Rook? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was kind of like a mind flayer from Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, mind. Uh, it just seems like a thing that can uh steal your thoughts or enter your thoughts and in doing so will potentially drive you insane 
You know, I, I th- Which, the third time I saw this, I, I'm still struggling because the the board gullet was there to verify Bodhi's story. The story. Yeah. yeah. And so clearly the story, I'm assuming, gets verified, but yet Saw believes that it's still some sort of hook to draw him out so that he can be killed. <clears throat> well, I think that's why it makes sense that he would use Borgullet or whatever it's called um, <laughs> because he's obviously, and it seems probably the older he gets or, or, you know, the longer he's around that he's consumed by paranoia that everything is, is a trick. And, and you know, maybe that's why he pulled away from the rebellion and started doing his own guerrilla campaign that was more militant, and he started kind of getting more fringe. Yeah, I, I would imagine that's that. That's you know, what it has there, to do with. There's that moment, you know, when they're in the they're they're on the the, the base and uh, and Yavin, and they realize that they're up against this incredible weapon, and half of them want to split completely dissolve the alliance and get out of there. So arguments ensue. And I guess you can kind of see in that moment why the galaxy needs a Saw Guerrera. I don't think Saw would have sat there and debated with everybody. Is that... Oh, absolutely. Do you guys think that that's sort of like where he gets this reputation of being so extreme? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if his backstory is that he got messed up by Darth Vader. I'm sure this is a guy who realizes the importance of doing anything you can to take it to and fight the Empire. Because living under the Empire is, you know, probably no better than death. So why not? Which right. is an interesting and ballsy, I think, take that you're essentially seeing an insurgency force that's, you know, connected to the rebellion. Like, that's another another thought on the movie is that it did such a great job of creating this this varying these varying levels of like why people are with the alliance or you know the things that people do it's not good versus evil in black and white it's there's so many shades of gray right. with with uh Cassian yeah yeah with his character you know just killing that guy because right. he's not going to get out so, you know, and, and I thought they did such a great job of, like, showing that there's a lot, a lot of sacrifice to be with the Rebellion, like, and a lot of different levels of, of what you're willing to do. And it's and, a lot and what's of good and what's not. And it's a lot of people and forces coming from different spots throughout the universe. And they're coming together simply because of the philosophy. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. um. But I mean, it it is interesting to see like Saw Guerrero. He's so um, just outside the box that he can't even be part of the organized rebellion against the Empire, and he causes yeah. problems for them, is what he says. Like like he's a PR nightmare for Mon Mothma or something. I don't. <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't really yeah, understand and, that. Uh, totally, and I think that's such an interesting thing, considering this is you know the rebellion gives Cassian orders to kill Jin's father. Yes. Like, but, but because that's subvert, like subversive, that's being done in the shadows, whereas Saw is doing this out in the open and there's potentially 
civilian casualties because of his actions, that he's the bad guy to them. Yet they're killing people who are innocent or who are are helping them, but maybe they don't know, like Galen or, you know, the, the guy who gave them the information about um, Bodie. Like, which you imagine is, Cassian makes it seem like this is something he's done. This is something he does. Yeah. yeah I, and it's I, interesting to draw that difference. Like, that saw is bad, or, or too far, too extreme, yet some of the tactics they're taking aren't. So what happens then to uh, Cassian that makes him put that sniper rifle down and he doesn't pull the trigger on Galen or so what, what kind of... What kind of evolution does he go through morally to make that decision? Because you're right, Andy, at the beginning of the movie, he has no problem blasting that guy in the back. So I wonder yeah. what kind of, what, what, how did he come to terms with it? Maybe just out of respect for Jen? Maybe he I came so. to respect her? Yeah, that, I, I, I think I'm good with that. He came to respect Jen so much as a person and started to believe in her that she, he couldn't just kill her father in cold blood like that well first off i think he realized galen already was found out to be you know a, a double crossing the empire so maybe he realized like why why should he be the one to take the shot but i i think the main point is he cared for Jin, and you know he believes her that he ultimately did what he did to help the rebellion in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I really like the speech that he gives there towards the end when mm. he and his group decide to go with Jin and um, try to get these, try to retrieve these plans, which is without, without continuing to fight all of the horrible things he's done in the name of freedom and uh, the rebellion uh, are, 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 are for nothing. And the only way yeah. that the guy can sleep at night is knowing that he's done things like take out that poor, you know, guy with the arm in the sling um, for the greater good. Tivik. Oh, absolutely. Is yeah. that his name, Tivik? His name is Tivik, and that sounds very Star Trekky to me. But I'll roll with it. That's a little Vulcan. <laughs> That's it is. a little oh, Vulcan. Yeah. Yeah. Tuvok, Tivik, Tivik, Tuvok. <laughs> what? Uh, Andy did, you know, seeing Vader, he did have uh, obviously some pretty incredible moments in this. Um, Not a whole lot. He's not a talker, Vader. But did you did you come away with this um, feeling like you got to know that character a little bit more in some way? I keep coming back to the fact that Jimmy mentioned that, you know, Mon Mothma is concerned about, uh, you know, the PR that Saw Guerrero causes, and it seems like Vader's a little concerned about the PR too. I mean, he's very upset that the city was wiped out. Um, he seems more less impressed with the Death Star. Certainly not very impressed with with uh, with Krennic. Uh, what did you come away with thinking about Vader after seeing him in this film? Well, I thought I thought his problem was with Grand Moff Tarkin, and that they had a a little rivalry, which is why he left Krennic in charge of the Death Star at that time, whereas Tarkin was obviously letting Krennic know that the Emperor was about to place him in charge. Mm. Ah, yeah, that's true. That is true. Is that not right? 
And then yeah, oh, you're right, you're right. Because he and does. Vader doesn't like being one upped by anyone, and yeah. wants to be the one to just probably he wants to be the one to kill everyone in the city, not some you know technology that can do it easily. Right, right. That that he um, we had FJ on earlier, and he was talking about you know Vader answers to a higher power. It's more about you know um, you know he got into this whole thing. You know, my take on this is he got into this, you know, with the promise of learning how to bring people back from the dead, ultimate power, um, you know, all harnessed by the, the use of the force. He gets involved and all of a sudden the emperor's trying to create, you know, synthetic power, you know, manufacture yeah. power as opposed to the power yes. coming from. So, you know, I think Vader was um, seeming very... Uh, frustrated with the destruction of the city on Jeddah because of the fact that it required explanation to the Senate. And so they had to build up this smoke screen that it was a mining accident. I don't know how clearly yes. that comes across in the film, but I've been uh, listening to the the great uh, Penguin Random House audiobook of uh, Rogue One. Mm. And it's very, it's oh, very good because you know what? It adds a whole nother layer to the story because you really can get into the minds of the characters, specifically between Galen and Krennic. There's a lot of yeah. stuff going on there and a lot of backstory that gets uh, explained. But that's the big deal. They can't in, in the novelization. No. Yeah. 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 I've been reading Catalyst, the prequel. Mm-hmm. That's also very to, good. Yeah. And that tells the whole story, right, Andy? So when at the beginning of the film, when Krennic and his death troopers roll up on the Urso pad, you you have this whole backstory. And when he says to Lyra, uh, you know, uh, causing trouble is always, he says something along those lines. You know what he means by that if you read Catalyst. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I'm not I, through it, but yes, I, I'll get there. I, I, haven't, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't read the book, but uh, what, what can you guys tell us about um, is that the, you know the nature of Galen's relationship with Krennic? Is there a legit friendship there, or has it always been, um, you know, Krennic using uh, Galen Urso? It seems that way. They were exposed to each other very young in life through a, a scientific program, and uh, Krennic was always able to appreciate, evaluate, and understand that Galen Urso is one hell of a scientist and capable of making incredible breakthroughs in energy and energy containment and disbursement. And uh, so these, these crystals have a lot to do with it, of course, but then Galen runs into some trouble and he gets imprisoned. It's Krennic who uses his influence among people like Tarkin to get Galen released from the prison and then they bring Galen to Coruscant Mm -hmm. and they set him up in a lavish pad and you see a little flashback in Rogue One to this moment or or a moment where they're seen socializing with Krennic and you see a young Jen and everything and that's how life is until all of a sudden Lyra becomes very aware of the evils of the Empire. I'm, I'm going to boil this down in the simplest terms. And uh, she, she also is a scientist. And so she starts putting things together and realizes the Empire is using Galen to to do something disastrous. She knows what's going on with the Death Star and the development of it. And so she convinces Galen they need to get out of Dodge and 
and get away from the empire. So that's that's their goal. They're living in exile because they don't want to contribute to the war machine any further. But he his intellect is unparalleled. So Krennic desires to bring him back because, as he says at the beginning of the film, the project has reached a standstill. They need Galen and his intellect to be able to make the breakthroughs, to be able to harness all of the energy of the kyber crystal and use it for the Death Star super laser. So that's how the film begins then. They, they, they don't want to be part of the Empire, and that's why they're living alone. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, too, when yeah. you make the, the connections to the Urso family and Luke Skywalker. Luke is on a farm he's longing to get off of because he wants to be a bigger part of the galactic picture while Galen Urso is doing the exact opposite. He's on a farm because he's trying to escape. The heat in the kitchen has gotten too hot for him. Well, it he is clear that when you're, when you're on the run from the Empire, you become a farmer in the Star Wars yeah. universe. That, that is <laughs> I think so, yeah. the last place they're going to look. Now, it's Andy, the quietest place, yeah. It, yes, and he talks about how, you know, quiet and peaceful it is andy i don't think we've spoken to you since the force awakens uh has come out so this is you've alluded to it a couple of times uh it it sounds like that it's your favorite star wars movie right now is that the case yeah i mean i I think i think empire will always be my top favorite but force awakens is right there i thought jj did an amazing job I understand a lot of the criticisms that it follows too closely, but I think it makes sense when you have this group that's modeling themselves and, you know, worshiping the empire Mm -hmm. that they would go about doing it the same way. Like if you can build a planet killer, you're, and you're trying to be the next empire, you're going to do that. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, if I you think, look at yeah, if you look at factions across human history that have tried to, you know, world domination, they all have very, very similar uh, ideals, yeah. goals, tactics. Yeah, they'll approach it in similar ways. And I think, I think this, I feel like JJ did such an amazing job of pack, packaging this pill that felt so much like star wars because it has a lot of similar beats and Mm -hmm. and whatever but it's it's delivering this brand new thing a a lot of people i know um had almost everyone i know loved it but had criticism that it could have been its own thing or Mm -hmm. it could have been a little more original and i understand that but this is a movie that had to deal with a lot of people who did not like the prequels a lot of people were afraid that Disney was going to mishandle Star Wars, mm-hmm. this thing that they love. And so he had to walk this fine line of, of giving you something that felt like what you wanted, but then giving you all new stuff. Like you have, you know, the main protagonist is a woman. Like the other main protagonist is a, is a black man. Like this is all, all new stuff. Yeah. And, and, and pretty, you know, big things for Hollywood, which is awesome and, and really cool and, and, and really and unknown actors loudable. too you know i mean they yeah and unknown actors which is a gr- you know a, a great tradition of of star wars right and they all nailed it and i think you know han solo dying was was yeah, so well that, done and, and that, handled uh, so well how, how did that affect you and, and and did you see the writing on the wall there were you still holding out hope at what point did you realize 
he, I he didn't. was a guard. I, I, I mean, really? Yeah. I guess I I had a sneaking suspicion as he was on the bridge, but I was yeah. hoping <laughs> yeah. for a different. Nothing good happens on outcome. a bridge no, like that. No, I, no. exactly. Especially with no handrails. And I think you could see it in his eyes when Kylo asks him if he can help him. Yeah. That yeah. he knows that this is what's going to help him. Hopefully in the long, like we'll see over the next two movies, but hopefully this is the thing that can clarify whatever it is. I mean, I think, I don't know. I thought it was so well done and well handled. I, I saw it again. I've seen it seven, eight times now, seven mm. times in the theater when it came out. Yep. Um, and I saw it with my mom and <laughs> her reaction was the best. She couldn't even look at the screen and, and she, teared up and and yeah. couldn't believe it and which was great to see it affect her and she's not the biggest she has seen the star wars movies but she isn't the biggest star wars fan but right you know i, I knew it was well done when when she couldn't handle it you know yeah. and it, it was i think it needed that moment and i think that moment sets it apart from other star wars that there's such a well i guess I, that's the obi-wan moment but yeah. we didn't know obi-wan the same that's obviously right. i think we Absolutely. all felt that way about him by the time the movie ends and obviously over the years you know even without you mcgregor who you know i i hope they do a an obi-wan movie with him but or yeah several. this was or i hope they do a trilogy yeah, or, right. or more yes yeah but um i don't know i i just thought it set up it did its own thing. It was its own yeah. movie. And I, I imagine the next two movies being even more different, like being totally new and, and feeling, you know, the, the similar through line of, of being a saga movie, but being their own movies. What, what, what's your hope for episode eight? You know, where it's not going to be too long, believe it or not, where uh, the hype machine is going to start kicking into gear here uh, in the next couple of months leading up to episode eight and picking her up right where we left off with Luke on top of that, uh, that hill. Um, what are you hoping to see when that crawler after that crawler flies up? Man, I, I don't know. I just, <laughs> with, with saga movies, I just can't imagine what will happen. It's too big. It's too, expansive and vast for me to like even have a hope for what I'll see or an idea for yeah. what I think I'll see. Yeah. I mean, obviously we're going to get more Luke, which is, you know, we've been waiting for. And I think some people may have been disappointed that Luke wasn't in it in force awakens more. Mm -hmm. I thought it was perfect. Yes. I thought it was the best way to end the movie. And it was the best. It hit me so hard. Um, and it makes so, me, you know, so excited for the next two. Yes, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, Andy, if you take your mom to see episode eight, will you bring her on Rebel Force Radio so we could get her review yeah. as well? That would be <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. You know, it's so wonderful to That'd have these 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 films. You know, Rogue One. What what a great title over it is. It it may it's completely distracted me from all of the anxiety I have about episode eight. And I don't have anxiety yeah. because I think it's gonna be a I'm not talking about the quality of film. It's just like fan anxiety. I'm dying to know what happens next. And I'm 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 nervous to know what's gonna happen next. It's awesome. Andy, you're yeah. the best. Jason's right. It's been too long since we've talked to you. You of course have been 
everywhere in the on the globe with Fallout <laughs> Boy over the last few years. So I'm glad you guys. Uh, well, you're taking a little downtime right now. Yeah, we're taking some downtime, uh, working on the new record slowly but surely. Um, hopefully, have some news or have some stuff, you know, in, in the new year, sometime. Well, great, yeah. man. We're looking forward to it. You guys, I, I'm just uh, so happy for your continued success. Uh, every time I t- turn on the TV, I, I see you guys jamming somewhere, and it's it's so nice to <laughs> to see you pounding on the skins. Of course, Andy, you 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 are the backbone of that band, and you really lay it Thank on you. heavy. I mean, really, to me, you judge a, a a rock band by how good their drummer is, and man, it, Fall Out Boy is, <laughs> is so successful that. thanks to the the awesome uh, skin work you do for that band. So keep it up, my friend. Thank we'll you. be we'll be watching Absolutely. closely, and I'm serious about. Having uh, Ma Hurley on for uh, episode eight. That would, that would be great. She would, <laughs> that would love that. Be fantastic. And yeah. <laughs> so uh, be sure to give the best to everybody in the band. Uh, you know, tell everyone we wish them a uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, uh, all that good stuff. And, uh, and same to you and your family. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I'll pass that on and Happy Holidays to you guys as well. All right. Andy Hurley, thank you so much, bud. Talk yeah, to you soon. Yeah, thank you. Thanks all for right. having me. Bye bye. Talk to you soon. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of Rebel Force Radio, but certainly not our coverage of Rogue One. We've got lots more where this has come from. And I am so excited to be able to share it with uh, so many good friends. I mean, that's uh, Andy said a mouthful. He said, you know, second time I went to see it, I went with like 30 of my friends, and that made it even better. And that's really, at the core of it, What makes Star Wars so great is sharing it with others. And I'm so grateful to be able to share it with guys like Jimmy Mack. Yes. And FJ and Andy and Tom Spina. Thank them all for joining us. Such a pleasure. And as I say, there's still more. Jim, every time you see it, you pick up new things. This is a movie that you got to see over and over. There's so much packed into it. I think we're going to be talking about this one for a long time. Yes, stepping up in the fine tradition of Star Wars films, giving us a lot to chew on, having us dart our eyes in every corner of every frame looking for the smallest detail to give us enhancement to the story just one little bit further. I'm really relishing this moment right now. We're, we're basking in the uh, glow, listening to the audiobook, reading the novelization, checking out the visual guide, looking at the Art of Rogue One book. This is my favorite time because this is the moment of discovery. The film gets enhanced each and every time uh, we have these conversations, each and every time I open the pages of one of these great books, and each and every time we can hang out with Star Wars fans like everyone listening to this show. And you guys getting together around Rebel Force Radio each and every week makes Star Wars celebration happen 365 days a year. 
24-7, man. And we're so happy we're able to share it here with you as we ramp up to another great Star Wars Christmas. Hey, be sure to check out our latest Rebel Force Radio stocking stuffer for 2016 featuring tons of cool Star Wars Christmas and holiday music. I think you'll really enjoy it. Share it with the family while you're putting the R2-D2 ornament on the tree and you're hanging up that Darth Maul stocking on the fireplace. It's a perfect soundtrack for that stuff. Thank you so much for hanging out with us all year long, and we'll keep on with the the great Rogue One conversation with our amazing friends as we roll into 2017, and then we get to start looking forward to Episode 8. And to fill the time, we'll talk about Star Wars Rebels, too. So plenty to talk about here on Rebel Force Radio. Thank you again, guys. We love you all. All right. Thanks also to our uh, pals at uh, Little Debbie Snack Cakes. Thank you so much for your support of us here at Rebel Force Radio. Uh, don't forget that email address, show at rebelforceradio.com or the voicemail line, 708-320-1737. That's 708-320-1RFR. You can find us on Twitter, at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio, at Jason Swank. And on Facebook, the only place to find Facebook, or excuse me, <laughs> there's a lot of places to find Facebook, the only place to find Rebel Force Radio on Facebook is, of course, the official Facebook page at facebook.com slash rebelforceradio and our official website, rebelforceradio.com for all things and everything Rebel Force Radio, including some really cool T-shirts. So check those out. Uh, iTunes, still one of the best places you can subscribe and review Rebel Force Radio. We just have one rule, please, on those reviews. Make it good or gullet. <laughs> And you can, of course, find Rebel Force Radio streaming online at WGNplus.com, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and just about anywhere you can find podcasts. We're an official friend of Wikipedia, the ultimate online Star Wars encyclopedia. You can find them at Wikipedia.com. Two E's. Well, three, technically. But two E's together. It's like cookie. No, there's not two E's in cookie. You don't want to know from me. What can you get? A Wookiee for Christmas when he already owns a cone. Listen to that a couple times today. Yeah, the kids love that. Good stuff. You can also find us weekly at JediNews.co.uk, Yodasnews.com, and the official Star Wars website, StarWars.com. We'll see you next time. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember... Force will be with you. Always. Poor Khalid.